Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 50. 5 The Big Show. Some Enforcer Based Podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Actually, I just didn't actually realize it was 50 um wow that's uh although granted i guess it's kind of cheating because it's it's not all 50 uh new episodes um of course today being sunday normally is always a vault episode so i guess that's kind of cheating but uh but it's hey it's it's new to you right so i guess it's, it could be considered new episodes to some folks um Yes, today, uh, as my vault guest, I will have Joe Lazito, the man, I mean, you've heard me talk about him on every episode, uh, who runs the Coliseum Chronicles podcast, the Islander podcast, um, I've known Joe for a long time, and uh, actually, I, when I did this interview, I was on, on my old, uh, I always explain this every time, but I will do it again for the new listeners, um, every Wednesday is new content, on here and then every sunday is what i call a vault episode and what that is is it's an it's an old episode um from my old website that i used to have fourthlinevoice.com and uh unfortunately it crashed <coughs> and i still have my cough <laughs> um unfortunately it crashed um last year and i kind of basically thought i was done with podcasting at that point and uh i kind of you know, was silent for a few months, and then Isha and them at the Hockey Podcast Network got a hold of me and offered me their platform, and uh, so I we resurrected the Fourth Line Voice Show, and um, and that was the commitment I gave them that every Wednesday will be new content, and then I but I really wanted to get my old episodes back up online because uh, they had all gone away when my website crashed, and because uh, like I said, all the guys were you know nice enough to take time out of their lives to come talk to me and i was really proud of the episodes and i really wanted to get the the interviews back up online so we came up with this idea that every sunday will be a vault episode so here we are and um as i'm saying this um i've actually when i went back and looked um in terms of player interview now i understand joe's not a player but um in in terms of player interviews um they're all up they're all back up um so at this point, I'm really not sure what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to have to talk to the network guys. I'm, I'm thinking out loud because this is actually... I just realized that tonight as I was going through all my um, old... Like, I had all the shows backed up, obviously, on a, on a disc uh, or on a hard drive. Um, I'm scrolling. I'm like, yeah, they're all up um, in terms of players. Um, 
and I'm, I'm putting Joe up just because um, actually I, was, I think it was that he was the eighth interview that I did, and it was funny because when I interviewed Joe at, at this time, the, the interview you're going to listen, um, he didn't even have a show yet. So um, yeah, this is kind of his first exposure onto a podcast. So um, and uh, like I said, I'd known Joe for a long time, and he has. Of course, um, if you don't know, I don't know why you wouldn't know by now, but if you don't know, um, Joe has a heroic um, subway story when he literally um, stopped a serial killer in New York City, um, and it's been all out the paper. If you, if you Google Joe, Joe Lazito's name, it'll come up. Joe wrote a book about it and uh, his subsequent battles with the New York Police Department over it. Um, I won't, if you haven't heard any of this, I won't give it all away. You can listen to the episode here and Joe, Joe talks about it. So, but before that, um, Joe worked for the, uh, hockey, Fleer Hard Hockey Card Company, um, Bruce Bennett Studios, uh, anybody that remembers the old Tough Guy book, Bad Boys books, or, uh, the Tough Guy magazines, um, Joe did the rankings and, uh, and, and all that, and we talk about all that, and uh, yeah, no, Joe was just a fun guy to talk to, and uh, like I said, known him a long time, and uh, now, of course, now he has his own podcast, and I'm sure there's tons of crossover, like people that listen to my show listen to his, and, and what have you, um, so it, um, you know, but uh, in, in terms of this interview, like I said, he hadn't started his show yet, so um, I don't even know if he, we even talked about in this about him doing a show yet. Or like with the seeds of the idea of doing an Islander show. I'm not sure if we talk about. I even go back and, like I said, this was a while ago that I did this interview. I didn't go back and re-listen before I put it up today, so I'm not quite sure. But, uh, um, but hey, we'll find out after we play this, right? <clears throat> but no, in terms of my uh, my players uh, interviews, yeah, they're all back up. So. I don't know on this Sunday, on these Sunday spots, if I'm going to continue to do them. Because to be completely honest, even though I'm playing an old episode, I always do it like what I'm doing right now, intro to each of them. And uh, still have to edit. Not that it takes a long time, but it's still time. And, uh, you know, I don't, uh, as much as I love podcasting and talking to you guys and everything else, um, you know, I, I do have a life outside of the back room, away from the microphone. Um not much of a life any well no i still have a good time but i mean it's not like i'm hobnobbing and and everything i'm still probably home by the time the street lights come on these days but uh um you know I, it's just life outside of podcasting right so um you know i'm sure my wife in the other room is gets tired of listening to me so um i think from here on out um like i said i have to talk to the network guys unless they can come up with an idea um because to do a whole other, to do two shows a week, um, yeah, I don't, I can't see it. I, I, I have no, and I have no desire to do that. Um, so I think from here on out, we'll probably just be doing Wednesdays. Um, I prefer the Wednesday slot um, in terms of, of putting a show out. Um, so rather than the weekend. So um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I'll be back to once a week. And, um, you know, which, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, people understand, uh, hopefully you guys listening, because I'm sure people obviously, um, if you listen to the Wednesday show, I would assume you listen to the Sunday show as well. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's like, you know, we're separating the, the audience or whatever. I mean, I'm, well, I'm sure most people don't listen to either, but, uh, you know what I'm saying. Um, so, uh, going forward, unless I can come up with a concept for a Sunday show, um, 
but again at that point it's still time right so no matter even if it's oh just do 20 minutes well yeah it doesn't sound like much but it's still 20 minutes um you know and then you have to come up with an ideas or you know what have you so um i don't know i shouldn't say because i haven't talked to the network guys about this i mean it was an agreement that i came up with and uh you know so and i know you you know, they listen to all my stuff. So he's just riding his bike right now thinking, son of a bitch, this guy's quitting. Uh, no, I, I will, I, sh- I'm just talking out loud. Um, uh, so I, I don't really know what's going to happen on Sunday yet. Um, in terms of, uh, going forward. So anyway, we'll see. Um, no guys, other than that, I mean, Joe and I talked for two hours and a bit and, uh, you know, so I, I won't take up too much time, uh, rambling here in the intro. You know what? I always, I always say that every intro and then I end up talking for 15 more minutes, which I'm probably going to end up doing right now. Um, cause I really don't have a lot planned with this. I just kind of hit record and, uh, start rambling and then as i'm about to kind of sort of sign off something pops up into my head so it's like oh yeah i gotta talk about that too and then i end up looking like an idiot talking for 15 more minutes um i will say uh for people listening i always have to do my my promotions in terms of uh checking out (laughs) stop listening go listen to these people um Again, on the Hockey Podcast Network, there's 32 other shows. All the NHL teams are represented. Um, so whatever team you're a fan of, in this case, Islanders, go check out the Islanders show. Um, yeah, as well as, uh, of course, Terry Ryan's on the network as well. And, of course, Terry Ryan just released his second book. Um, for those, uh, it's, it's called Fights, Fights, Film, and Folklore. And um, I have getting my copy here shortly um if it is like half as good as his first book we're all in for a treat because his first book tales of a first round nothing one of the best hockey books i have ever read um if you have not read it i highly recommend it please go out and get that because it is awesome and um yeah and i can't and I, I i have no reason to not believe that his second book will be just as good so uh if you are interested in, i'm sure it's at all the bookstores but if you want to get it from terry personally and autographed and uh i don't know if that helps him more money wise because i mean obviously there's a percentage paid but uh regardless uh terry ryan 2020 at gmail you can get a hold of him there or he's on he's on social media all over the place if you i'm sure if you're listening to this you follow terry ryan um you know how to get a hold of him and uh you know buy it directly through terry like i said christmas is coming isn't that scary to say christmas is coming literally like two months away um hey hell of a hell of a uh, christmas gift autographed terry ryan book so um you know there's that and uh of course my off network friends uh alec over at the five for fighting podcast um he is in the midst of moving well he's on vacation as we speak i laugh he makes the big vacation announcement out i i thought alec's whole life's a personal vacation is a vacation really guys like jimmy he's the jimmy buffett out there he's the jimmy buffett of podcasting but uh no alec is uh uh taking a vacation right now but they're also in the midst of moving and of course everybody out there uh listening everyone of us has, has moved a few times and we and we all know what that's like so uh podcasting obviously is not on the uh, top of his priority list well i think he has an ep- he has one episode coming out right now um it's kind of a, a a solo episode i think he wants to talk about a few things and uh, which i'm about to get into but uh he wants to talk about a few things <laughs> But uh, other than that, I think he's taking a break, a little bit break here, and then getting back in it when he gets back into his new place. Um, 
as well as uh, uh, Dan, Kelly, and Paul over at the Obey the Puck show. Um, that's more of a, a video. It's like a Twitch. Uh, is it a Twitch show now? Like, I was watching it the other day, but I can't remember what platform I was on, because I just hit the link that Dan put on Twitter. Um, yeah, it's like a YouTube show now. Um, you know, and I always enjoy those shows, as well as the Slewfoot show with Fred and Dave. And um, I know two current hockey shows, right? Uh, who would have thought coming out of my mouth? But, uh, and because I could give two shits about current hockey, but um, I like those people, I like the people involved, so I will listen to their show, because they're not ignorant fools. Um but yeah, and uh, well, I wasn't going to address it, and I've kind of gone back and forth. I've had people ask me about this. Um, unfortunately, there was an incident this week uh, involving uh, Alec at Five for Fighting and uh, Bobby over at uh, the Bucket Drop podcast, and um, you know, uh, got into it online and. Uh, you know, um, and I had people, like I said, I had a bunch of people get a hold of me. First of all, ask me what the hell's going on and what the issue is and, and everything. And then, um, you know, afterwards when it was settled down, they were kind of like, hey, are you going to, you know, I had a few, couple guys ask me if I was going to talk about it on today's intro, um, which I really didn't have an answer for at the time. And because uh, it's, you know, really when it comes down to it, it's just basically high school drama shit that, uh, you know, I don't think anyone needs to be a part of. And, uh, the fact that it actually happened on a, a social media platform like Twitter to me was really sad. And, um, you know, it, it could have been handled privately. I'm not sure, um, you know, what, the, what the point of that all was. Um, I still don't know what the, what the whole issue, oh, I take, I know what the issue is, but I think, um, you know, and again, this isn't, uh, I know, well, this is how it all started as, as Bobby got mad about Alex addressing the issue, um, that Bobby had with another, a different part. I'm not going to say that guy's name, a different party and, uh, on the, on the uh, forcer appreciation page. So a- Alec, uh, mentioned it on his podcast for 45 seconds on his last episode and, uh, Bobby didn't appreciate it and came to Twitter. It just heard it the other day on, for the first time and came to Twitter and, and attacked, uh, Alec about it and about talking about him and everything else. So I guess, I mean, he might be able to attack me now for talking about him, but, um, I'm not saying anything that I didn't say to, uh, Bobby privately in text. So I'm not talking out of school. Uh, you know, and I said the same, I tweeted the same thing. So, I mean, everyone's seeing my, my stance on it already has been made as I've made public, as I've tweeted about it. Um, I, I don't, I don't see what Bobby's issue with with Alec is. Um, I think it could have been handled privately. I don't like the fact that he took it to social media. Um, you know, I, I completely overreacted, and uh, you know, and I told him, and I tweeted that, and uh, I that's I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, it's like I said, it's it's Alec and Bobby. It's their issue. Um, I will just say this. Uh, both Alec especially as well as myself um you know have have I've had there if you go back in my episode I've had Bobby on my show I've always enjoyed talking to him I've been on his podcast a couple times uh as has Alec and uh and I said it, it, in turn every time if you go back and listen to my shows I've always promoted the bucket drop podcast as charity with his hats bought a hat 
gave to charity. Um, <clears throat> so I don't really know where all of a sudden the venom, as Hazalik, which I don't understand where the venom came from in terms of there's disagreement and then there's, you know, taking personal shots, which, uh, Bobby, you did. So, and I, you know, I didn't, that's what I didn't appreciate. And, um, I mean, you took the shot at me, which uh, some underground enforcer wannabe or something. I whatever you said, that made no sense. I don't know what you were talking about, but um, again, and again, this isn't some public bashing of Bobby Longgrass, the Bucket Drop podcast. But at the same time, you went online and put it out there for everyone to read. Um, you know, and a, a lot of us were really. I've had, I had everybody, all the people, just getting a hold of me privately they're like what what's going on what's why is he saying this stuff about out and i'm like i don't know like i have no idea and uh i don't know what happened or uh why it did why it needed to be dealt why you felt you needed to deal with it that way and um you know and then the little couple side shots at me i didn't appreciate and uh and i told you that and um you know, I, I don't know where the animosity came from, man. Like I said, everybody, everyone here is just, uh, I, we were kind of a community and everybody helped everybody and promoted every, each other. And, uh, I don't know, to go zero to a hundred like that on a guy who's done nothing but help you over comments that Alec put the, 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 he, he put the 45 second intro that he put up or when he commented about you on Twitter and, only you were hearing what you thought you heard. I don't know what you thought you heard because everyone else that listened to it doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about. So I don't know. I can tell you, Alec was a lot more uh, rational than I would have been about it, uh, you know, with his response. So I don't know. I I, have, I don't know what your issue is with that. Well, I know what it is now, but I'm I don't know. It's complete, you know. In my opinion, overreaction, and I and it didn't need to come to that. And um, I just got me thinking back to the, uh, you know, in, in terms of just to come full circle with talking about podcasting and how I don't know. Um, I've had this run-in issue before with another podcast that uh, you know. Um, decided to kind of do some backstabbing shit and forget about uh, with uh, Mark over at the, the the Bruins show and we all helped him out and promoted him and then he turned around and shit on William and my, the biscuit and myself and uh, for I don't for whatever I don't know what his reason was and uh, you know so I, I don't know I, I don't know guys what what's what's going on here like uh like I get it, blasting people like trolls on Twitter. God knows I've done that a million times, and and that's not what I'm talking about. When it's when it's people that you've you've helped out and perceive as friends, you know I'm doing air quotes, but I mean you know whatever you want to go, Twitter friends or social media friends, um, to have that response from someone like that that a quick was was really kind of uh, took shocking, and uh, yeah, so I don't. Uh, I mean, I would still say, who, who needs enemies when you got friends like that? I mean, uh, so I don't know what it's all about. And uh, I keep saying that. It's not, I know what it's about, but I just think it's, uh, it, uh, it was it was ridiculous. And, uh, you know, and like I said, Bobby, you have my phone number. If you have a problem with what I'm saying here, um, you can call me and, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, like I said, I've given you my opinion on it already. And, uh, 
you know, I, I, I just didn't appreciate how you handled it, man. And, uh, to me, it, it was a real shame it didn't need to happen like that. And, and I, now I see you've canceled your Twitter account and everything else. And I, for what? For all? For what? I don't understand. I will, I'll never understand. You can text me and try to justify it all you want to take personal shots at, at a guy that has done nothing but help you. And, and he, like he said, I thought we were friends. I don't know. And all he did was, uh, just kind of asked you not to do something in a polite way. Again, I don't know where you're getting that he was shit-talking you and everything else. I have no idea what you're talking about because he didn't at all. And uh, you can keep saying, oh, I'm saying that because he's my friend and whatever. Well, you know what? I thought you and I were friends too. So, uh, you know, I'm not... It had nothing to do with that. You know, and it's just... No, I just thought you acted really inappropriate and uh and like i said the personal shots about the military and all that stuff were just unnecessary and uh it's not a good look dude and uh, and i've told you this already so like i said i and i tweeted the same thing so it's not like i'm not saying anything that people don't know now we're talking behind your back because i've tweeted about it so um you know it's unfortunate and i'm not hey let's all shit on bobby or i'm not saying that at all i'm just saying it was uh you know, as an unfortunate incident, and uh, uh, unfortunately, things got said, and I think it got escalated. It went way escalated way too much, and uh, you know. But like I said, I'm not. Let's go throw eggs and everything at Bobby's house. I'm like, you know, like I said, I think uh, cooler heads hopefully will prevail, and and we can you know bounce back, and you know, I mean, it's not the you know it's not the end of the world, but uh, at the same time. Um, you know, I hope that, uh, you know, it can get resolved because it's, it's unfortunate. And it, uh, yeah, I'm done. I'm not going to address this anymore. And, uh, that's it. Uh, like I said, I, but I didn't want to get involved in high school drama and, you know, like a bunch of angry teenage girls in the food court. But, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I, I will publicly say I didn't appreciate you taking, uh, the shots not only at Alec, but at myself, and, uh, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm not sure why, again, I'm not sure why, but whatever, you have your reasons, and you can think, if you want to sit there and think you're justified in it, then I can't, you know, whatever, but, uh, whatever, dude, like I said, you have my number, you can give me a call or text me, whatever you want to do, so, um, there you go, that's all I'm going to say about that, but, uh, yeah, guys, other than that, uh, like I said, I want to keep this intro short. We're already at 22 minutes, but, uh, no, uh, I have a very, I have, uh, Wednesday, of course, like as, as I said at the top of the show, is new content, and, um, I have a very special guest coming on Wednesday, I, uh, with former, uh, Sastoon Blade, uh, Las Vegas Wrangler, uh, Alaska Ace, uh, Adam Huxley. Uh, I recorded with Adam a few days ago, uh, put in a solid two hours with him, and we get lots of good stories, and, uh, and Alec was, er, uh, Alec, uh, Adam was a great guest, and I had a lot of fun talking to him, and I think you guys will really dig the interview, and, uh, yeah, so that'll be coming on Wednesday, but, uh, in the meantime, before we go, I know all you folks out there with the draft picks and the signings and free agents and everything else, um, you know, you want to get the jersey of the new player on your team? Well, I got a good deal for you. Coolhockey.com. They've been around since 1999. They're NHLPA endorsed. 
they sell the real jerseys, authentic jerseys, the ones that the exact the guys were on the ice. Fight strap, hand sewn numbers, the whole nine yards. You can get your favorite current player, whoever that may be, or you can get a custom jersey. Like I said, you want to get a Blackhawks double zero Griswold jersey? Knock yourself out. Um, you go to the mall, you go to Lids or Jersey City or what have you, they want 300 and some dollars for these, and you're at the mercy of whoever they have on the rack. You know, this, I'm giving you the deal you can use with if you use the promo code THPN, the Hockey Podcast Network, THPN at checkout, 30% off and free shipping. They're out of Toronto. Um, like I said, the example I always used, got a Calgary Flames third jersey, number 16, Brian McGratton, um, 185.99 shipping included that's canadian there you go that's almost half the price and like i said it's the exact jersey brian wore on the ice with the flames uh so there you go just by using that promo code like we said before hey if you want to get your for yourself or for anybody up for that special person in your life uh, like i said christmas is coming this is hell of, and they you know and i know the diehards don't like the knockoff jerseys you want the real thing well, here you go. This is an excellent opportunity to do that. So, uh, THPN at checkout. Um, like I said, my guest here today, Joe Lazito, big Jersey guy, big Islander guy. Like I said, every intro, I've always talked about the jerseys Joe's buying. Like I said, with the exchange rate, he's killing it too, right? Um, just the other day, he was like, you know, I, I'm getting a jersey. I'm getting uh, Islanders Berube jersey. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot Craig Berube played with the Islanders. <laughs> <laughs> briefly, but it was like, what is it, 38 games? I said, yeah, the Chief, he's a bad dude. Yeah, I don't blame you, the Berube. Yeah, Craig, he was awesome. He's like, oh, no, no, not Craig. J.F. Berube, the goalie. Oh, okay. Joe's into the deep cuts, like I said, folks, you know, the, the you know, and right now he's doing one season wonders, so I didn't, uh, I don't know who J.F. Berube is, but apparently he was a goalie. Joe's a big fan. So if you see a cat cruising around uh, Long Island with a Berube Islander jersey, Go say hi to Joe. Tell him you heard us. Listen to him on the Fourth Line Voice Show. He'll get a kick out of it. But there you go, folks. Coolhockey.com. Check them out. 30% off and free shipping. And uh, other than that, hey, let's get going. Let's go talk to Joe. All right, guys. And, hey, by the way, this is an old episode for Joe. I don't, I don't want to say, oh, I'm using it for filler and, like, I'm just discarding it here. I was very proud of this interview. I love talking to Joe. And it was a really cool look at him. I mean, I got some stories of stuff that Joe's not going to say on his own show because Joe ain't going to talk about himself like that. But I got it out of him. This is his introduction to podcasting back then. He was a great guest. I was a big fan of big fan of this interview. Um like I said, I've known Joe for, I knew Joe for, knew, like his past tense. I've known Joe for a long time, going back to the message board days, which we talk about. And, uh, great guy, fun guy to talk to. Go listen to his show, Coliseum Chronicles. And, uh, and, and like I said, I'm not just, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm doing this because I like the interview to put up, but you'll certainly hear Joe again on my show. I'm going to get him in for a few projects, and uh, maybe we'll do a little cross-promotion kind of deal. Maybe I'll go on his show if he really wants to kill his ratings. He's, you know, and he needs to fill time. He knows who to call out of the bullpen. But, uh, no, so this is not certainly the last time you're going to hear Joe Lazito on my show. But this is the first time you've heard Joe Lazito on my show. So here we go. Here's my interview with Joe Lazito, and we will talk to you guys on Wednesday for Adam Hoxley. All right, guys, thanks. All right, welcome to the Fourth Line Voice podcast, and on the phone, all the way from Long Island, my guest uh, tonight is uh, Joe Lazito, otherwise known as the uh, the Subway Hero, and apparently the uh, the biggest rider fan in New York. Uh, Joe, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. 
I'm all choked up here. I'm just so touched that you'd have me, apparently. But uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, so it was uh, – actually, it was, it's funny, going going way back to the, the old internet uh, message board days. That's when you and I, I first uh, heard of you. Why well, I'd actually first heard of you through the magazines and stuff. I remember reading your name and then the Stan Fisher Bad Boys books. And then there you were on the message boards and we got to talking. And this is, we're going to really date ourselves. You and I used to trade VHS tapes, hockey fight tapes. Yes. That's, that's how old we are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everyone should know that's listening. I mean, obviously, if, if you're listening to this show, uh, you're not one of these coursey kids that likes, uh, that's gung-ho maybe about the game now you might like it but uh, if you're listening to this then uh, just get ready because my wife calls me the cranky old man and uh, i just turned 48 the other day so uh, if you want if you're listening to this so i can give you my thoughts on uh, the vegas power play right now or uh, you know the rangers Corsi, then I, this might not be the show for you well, Joe, you're killing my questions. I was going to bring up the, the Islanders' shot suppression from the other night, but I guess they're in zone entries. But I guess we're not going to do that. Okay, well, I'll go a different direction here. Uh, you so uh, like where'd you grow up and how'd you get involved? Uh, how'd you become a fan of the game? Uh, I grew up in uh, Queens, New York, uh, for uh, sports fan related stuff. It's Mets country, basically New York Mets country, and uh, closer to uh, the Garden than the Coliseum. Uh, a lot of Ranger fans where I grew up. Um, Islanders were a new team, basically. So you get the people that don't want to root for the Rangers. But um, I just started back in the day in the 70s when I started watching hockey. The um, We didn't have cable. So we would get the road games on TV. We'd get the uh, Islander road games and the Ranger road games. So I'd watch everything. I'd watch as much as I could. And um, I don't know. There was just something about the Islanders that uh, I gravitated towards them as opposed to the Rangers. I, I really can't tell you what the reason was. Um, but I like something about the Islanders I liked. Um, and when I first started watching them, they were just on the cusp of getting good. They weren't. They weren't uh, champions yet. But probably one of the main reasons was, uh, and, I, and I mentioned it in the past to other people, on my little black and white television in my bedroom, Clark Gillies just looked like a giant compared to everybody else on the ice. And uh, I think that might be part of the reason why I gravitated towards the Islanders. It was just watching this giant man that could uh, look like beat up everybody. You know, you don't uh, you don't look at it like you do when you're older, when you're six or seven years old. You know, Clark Gillies can beat up everybody, you know, and uh, I think that's part of the reason why I probably started liking the Islanders and then, uh, you know, of course you watch them more and obviously the type of style that I seem to gravitate towards, you start following guys like Nystrom and, and Gary Howitt you know, I know it's blasphemous to say, but uh, if you rank those guys top to bottom, um, you know, you're going to find those guys near the top and not necessarily Mike Bossy. Yeah, well, it's, uh, well, hey, if the, this is the show we, you know, as uh, as great as Bossy was, we're, we're not talking about Mike tonight. We're going to talk about, no. we're going to start talking about Gary Howitt and Nystrom and, uh, and Gillies. Yeah, so... Of course, that was with the benefit, of course, of uh, 
you know, videotape and everything else. That's how obviously I got to see those guys. Cause out here in, in Saskatchewan, you know, yeah. uh, and especially at, at that age, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of those guys until like, cause my hockey memory sort of start in the mid eighties really. Okay. And, uh, but, uh, what was your, well, since we're talking about Gillies and Nystrom and Howard, I mean, those three right there, I mean, those guys did a lot of damage over the years. You know, I, I kind of feel blessed. Um, I kind of almost equate it to, um, you know, I love watching mixed martial arts and uh, I'm old enough to say that, you know, I've been watching it since the first UFC and you take the mainstream sports. There's not nobody that's alive. As far as I know, can say, well, I've been watching hockey since the first game, or I've been watching baseball since the first game. It's just based on how old you are, you know? So obviously I'm, I'm old enough to have watched, the Islanders since their first game, but they played their first game when I was one. So I can't really say that, but uh, I'm happy to say that when I started watching them, that um, they, they had guys like that. You know, I mean, I, I watched a guy back then like uh, Brian Trottier. And again, I'm, I'm a single digit age kid, maybe six, seven, eight years old. And, and the sport is, is pretty new to me. So while I'm watching a guy like Gillies, uh, or Nystrom, or Howard, I just remember watching him thinking that he was completely crazy when I was a kid, just that that guy is crazy. Because, you know, when, like I said, when you watch, when you watch the game at that age, you're, things you notice are just, like I said, like Gillies just looked bigger than everybody. And Howard just looked like he wanted to kill everybody. And, and, and you know, when they show them to get, you know, maybe together or something, you just see Gillies is so much bigger than Howard, yet Howard wants to take on the world. You know, and then you get a guy like Nystrom who just seems fearless. And, you know, this is all stuff for an impressionable young kid. And, you know, then you watch a guy like Brian Trotter who seems that he can do everything. You know, he's a, he's a great player. And, and um, you know, it's just guys like that. And then, you know, you go a little bit later on. And, uh, well, how could I forget Dennis Podvin hitting everything in sight? I mean, that, that guy's uh, one of the best of all time. And then you go a little bit later on. You, know, you get a, You see a guy like Ken Morrow come in, and you watch his whole career blossom. And I was real fortunate because I only had to watch them for a short period of time before they became one of the best teams of all time. So um, those particular guys got me interested in the team. And then as you get, you know, as well as I got older, then you um, you start looking at the newspapers and you start buying the hockey magazines and things like that. So um, they got good relatively quickly into my my fandom and then it was just how much are they going to beat this team by tonight or how much are they going to beat that team by tonight you just never no matter what the score was you just never felt like they were out of a game and obviously they didn't beat everybody but um they were just the team was just so much fun to watch and they had really um had a mix of everything if you like the finesse then you could enjoy a guy like bossy if you like skating you know a guy like bob Bourne, you know he skates the best of them and if you like you know muscle you had those three guys you throw in a guy like terry hart who played physical and everything um so they really were and of course you got billy smith they really were a pretty complete team and a real fun team to watch so i kind of feel like i lucked out in a way that i decided to root for them and not the rangers yeah well i mean dynasty right that's one one of the, yeah. one of the best teams of all time it's uh 
Well, well, like as we're talking, and I mean, and I know from like from Twitter, from having my tournaments, and from being on the message boards with you back in the day, and you know, there was always the spirit of debate. Oh, your top ten, who's the top five of all time, and blah blah blah, and all that. And I mean, opinions are like assholes, right? But um, yeah. Just like with the with the gilly, I, you've been around, and you've I know in your magazines and everything, you've done the whole ranking thing, so you know where I'm going with this. But it's just yeah. in terms of over, I mean, obviously there's no right or wrong answer to this, but I mean, in, in your mind, where, where's the uh, where does where does a guy like Clark Gilly sit on, a, on an all time kind of tough guy list? I guess I, my thing with was it always seems like it, it comes down to Gillies or Nystrom, uh, how it. How it, a lot of times I, I think because he he um, he didn't last as long with the team, uh, you know, going to Hartford in New Jersey, um, doesn't he always seems to not get pushed by the wayside, but uh, you know, Gillies and Nystrom are you know two of the heartbeats of the team. So I guess it really depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for an intimidator, um, they didn't come much better than Gillies at the time. Um, but if you're looking for the guy that's going to go in and, um, you know, stir the pot more and, and get into more fights, then I think you put Nystrom, you know. Uh, I'll never forget, I mean, one of my favorite Nystrom fights is when he dismantled Jim Corn in Toronto. And that was really, I mean, obviously the fight was fun to watch, but more because he came to the defense of Palafontaine. So, uh, you know, Corn was kind of, you know, pushing him around and everything like that. And Pat was new to the league and Nystrom came in and basically said, no fucking way, we're not going to have this. And um, took care of him. And not that, you know, look, I'm, not, I'm no disrespect to Jim Corn. Anyone that, that does the job at any level, especially the NHL level, is tough. So I'm not disrespecting him. I mean, beating Jim Corn is not the same as beating a prime Bob Probert. But, hey, I mean, Jim Corn has a lot more pro games than I do and a lot more NHL fights than I do, so all the respect in the world. Um, but I guess that's where I draw the line between Gillies and Nystrom. Um, there is a rumor that the two of them did have a fight in uh, training camp, at least one fight, but I've never able, been able to crack that case open. And uh, from what I hear, nobody kind of gives uh, gives away who won. So um, I, I think I did a top 10 a few years ago, and I honestly think I put Nystrom at the top. And I think it really was more for activity. I mean, uh, Gilly's, Gilly's fights are legendary. And I mean, his fights with O'Reilly and breaking hospital's jaw and Schultz and those guys. I mean, it's really either, or like I said, I think it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for, you know, Paul Bunyan out there, not, I don't mean like the ax, I mean, just a, a mammoth guy. I think you're looking at Gilly's, but if you're looking for a guy that maybe was less intimidating, Physically, and maybe guys that they had a better chance with. I, but then Nystrom would, would uh, you know, teach him a lesson. I think you go Nystrom. So I, I, you can't go wrong with either guy. But if you're asking me who I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put Nystrom. Oh, there you oh. go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's always sort of the like, you know, the the knock on Gillies is always he wasn't active enough, right? Yeah. You know, and it's but there there wasn't a line of guys looking to fight him. So, I mean, there's always a double-edged sword. And I think it's the same thing where you see with people debating Nick Fatiu, and Gillies fought more than Fatiu. But, again, it, it, first of all, you know just as well as I do, video doesn't even tell half the story. If you didn't watch, like guys now that might be into the hobby, you can't, you don't know how, you know, you could look at Gillies' fight card and look at a Fatiu fight card and say, well, these guys didn't fight too much. What's with, the, you know, they're so revered, but... You really had to 
be around to know what exactly how they could just change a game. So, um, but like I said, if you're looking for a guy that um, that's going to go out there and intimidate, it's definitely Gillies. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, that is the knock on him that he had the long fuse and everything. I certainly wouldn't want to get hit by either one of them, though. No. No. <laughs> well, there, there. Speaking of uh, a Ranger guy, Fatia, what are your thoughts on Nikki? I, uh, you know, I uh, all the respect in the world for you know for Nick, and uh, I met him a few times when he was uh, with Hartford. Well, I think it was the year uh, Jared Burnett was in Hartford, and I know Jared a bit, so uh, I went uh, when I was living in Philly. I went and hung out with him, uh, and, and he introduced me to Nick. And Nick was a great guy, man. I mean. You know, I, I think people sometimes get hung up on the number of fights and everything. And, uh, you know, again, could could he have fought more? Absolutely. But, um, you know, like I said, I'm not really – I have so much respect for the role that I'm never going to say, well, Fatiu this or Fatiu that. I mean, Fatiu was a bad dude out there. And he did his job, and he's loved to this day by Ranger fans. There's no Ranger fan out there as far as I know. I mean, there's probably one or two that say, well, I like Fatiu, but uh, – you know, he could have done this or he could have done that. I mean, he did what he was asked to do. I mean, he wasn't a very good player, skilled player anyway, but he did his job. And, I mean, especially if you, if you go research his background, he didn't start skating until he was a teenager. And then he's playing in the NHL. So he's doing something right. So uh, I respect Nick. I mean, anyone that does the job, I respect, even if I don't necessarily care for them. But there's always respect there. Yep. Yeah, no, that's exactly, yeah. Well, just kind of going forward with the Islanders, I mean, now we sort of get into, I'm sort of, I'm obviously glossing over it. We, can't, we won't talk about every guy that's ever put on the Islanders, yeah. they were the, the uh, jersey, but uh, kind of the uh, the tag team that I kind of really remember, now we're getting into the late 80s, early 90s, was, of course, Fakoda and the Bomber. What yeah. are your feelings on those two cats? Well, the Bomber's funny because, you know, by that time, like I had mentioned when I first started watching hockey, I didn't have cable. And obviously by the time uh, Bomber came into the league, I think everyone had cable. So uh, I I was well-versed in his exploits. And uh, the day that they traded for him, or I guess it would have been the day before, that morning, I remember I was driving to school. And uh, I was listening to, jeez, uh, I guess, I don't know if you guys know him, kind of high like Howard Stern before Howard Stern, and yep. uh, they did a sports report, and they said, "Oh, the Islanders acquire Andy McDonough and Ken Baumgartner from the Kings for Michael McLeod." I almost drove off the highway. Like I was like, "Get the hell out of here!" Like I, I actually in my closet, I had a Kings, I like Kings Baumgartner jersey. That's how big it, I was a fan of the guy already before he got for the team in the island. And uh, I, I need no bones about it. Not a big fan of the European players. So if you're telling me, and I didn't know much about Hubie McDonough, I'm not going to say, oh, and they got this guy, Hubie McDonough. I didn't know much about him. But if you're telling me we're going to add Bomber and give up Nico Makala, I'm good with that seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Uh, and then it just so happened that when they played, uh, Hubie was a big part of that team. He, he really contributed, obviously not with his fist, but he was a solid player. Uh, but I was, I mean, I can't, you know, your team gets one of your favorite players. And it's just like, okay. And especially at that time, because for the longest time they had Mick, and I love Mick Fakoda. A lot of people don't really care for him, and that's fine. I never try to change people's minds. 
I love Nick. And Nick never really seemed to have a solid tag team partner. He had a bunch of guys that, for whatever reason, a guy like Alan Kerr, I tough as nails, Alan Kerr. I mean, I love the guy. Not heavyweight, you know, but he'd end up fighting heavyweights. And then you'd get a guy like Dale Henry, another guy, really tough, but he, he's not going to – they never kept him up long enough, say, to play a full season. Um, but he's not in the count. In caliber of Ken Bungler, and I'm sure even Dale Henry would tell you that. So you have Lakota basically doing all the heavy lifting, and um, then you had a guy like Bungler. So, I mean, basically telling you that I almost drove off the highway uh, and tells you all you need to know. I mean, he's one of my favorite guys. They get him, they add him to my favorite team, uh, and now he's tag team and one of my other favorites. I was, <laughs> I was pumped, and then the first game he plays, they're in Chicago. And you got Manson and Steve Thomas running around on, again, Paddle Fontaine. And Bomber comes in and basically just says, yeah, it's not on my watch. It's different now. You know, there's more than one guy here to do the job. And, you know, if, uh, if Nick's not out here, you know, you're not, you're not necessarily going to get Alan Kerr anymore. Or, you know, who got anybody like a Derek King or a Brad Lauer coming in or Brad Delgarno. You know, Dave Manson's not going to, you know, Brad Delgarno's not going to come in and, Dave Manson's going to go, oh, shit, I'm sorry, you know, but a guy like Baumgartner, everybody, especially Manson knows Bomber, but uh, a guy like Bomber comes in and everybody has to pay attention. You have to know if he's on the ice, you're going to play differently. It's just the way it is. So um, I was pretty excited when uh, when he got there. And, and you know what I love to tell people, like especially these new age fans, before Bomber got there, you go to any Islander game, and what you see in the crowd as far as jerseys go, you always see the older guys you know, the classic guys, but it was basically a sea of number 16, the Fontaine jerseys. And I loved, I love Patty. I think he's great. Once Barmer got there, maybe a month, two months into his tenure. Now all of a sudden it's Barmer Jersey popping up here, Barmer Jersey popping up here, Barmer Jersey. And I, I promise you whether people believe me or not, his Jersey, I'm telling you was the second most popular Jersey during his time with the Islanders to LaFontaine. And uh, I loved seeing it, man. It was like every game you'd see a couple more pop up. And uh, fans loved them. I mean, you get the bomber chance going every fight. And, oh, it was just such a good time to be an Islander fan. It was uh, it was so much fun. Those two guys, I mean, you know, you're out west. You know, Vakoda, the thing I like about Vakoda, Vakoda, it's, you know, guys will play a certain way in junior as a teenager, and then maybe you mature a little bit as you grow up. Vakoda seemed like he brought his Western Hockey League attitude to the NHL. Like, he just was like, fuck it. You know, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm going to fight you whether you like it or not. He seemed like he rubbed a lot of guys the wrong way. Um, and he just played old school, old school Western Hockey League hockey at the NHL level. And, you know, I fucking loved it, man. I, I love the guy. And, um, you know, some people didn't like the body slam this and that, but it is what it is. Everyone's got, you know, hey, look, to this day, I'm not a big Rob Ray fan. I didn't like the jersey thing. And uh, Rob Ray, to me, became twice the fighter once he had to keep the jersey on. I mean, to me, uh, his his second half of his career with the jersey on, the guy was a beast. You yeah, know, so, yeah. I, I, but I don't really care for him. I, to this, and, and Buffalo had tough teams, and I love the other guys in the team. I never really cared for Rob Ray. Guys don't care for Nick Lakota. That's okay, you know. But uh, I'll talk about Nick Lakota and Bomber all day because that was a real, real fun time to be a fan 
And uh, I mean, I, I could just go on and on about it, but if you have any specifics, we can. But if well, not, of course, I, well, you I, have I, the I, famous play. Big smile on my face right now. Well, you have the famous brawl against New York, right? Where you know they put the bomber out and he's yep. just doing the hot laps, waiting for him to drop the puck. And oh. yeah, the best part. And I, I, I'm telling guys that are listening, what you have to do is go on YouTube and search for that brawl because yep. what you have to do is is get both feeds. You have to get the Ranger feed. And you have to listen to the Islander feed and the Ranger feed. And I get I'm literally have goosebumps right now just thinking about. Um, the Islander broadcast and Jiggs McDonald and the way he described the scene. Uh, I mean, he painted it perfectly and it was just unreal because I'm sitting there and I'm watching the game and I'm furious because they put, again, we come back to LaFontaine. So they put out LaFontaine and it's not like the hockey of today where you knock out a star player and then they go, well, I guess they'll have a meeting with Brendan Shanahan and they'll, He'll teach him a lesson. You know, it, it, that was jungle hockey back then. You take out a player, especially your best player, but you're going to pay the price. And uh, I was happy that there were two seconds left on the clock. And I'm watching TV, and I'm looking to see who they put out there. And it was just like, oh, here we go. And you got Bombers getting in the circle like a shark. And, uh, you know, Vakona and uh, Gerald Diddick was out there, and Trotty was out there, and I think Gary Nyland was out there too. So, with the exception of Trotty, they had their muscle out there. And, you, got, you know, Baumgartner, premier heavyweight, and a guy like Vakoda, whether you like him or not, he did the job for a long time. And the puck drops, and that's it. And to listen to the Islander broadcast, it was a work of art. And then you listen to the Ranger broadcast, and Sam Rosen, the Ranger announcer, notorious guy for hating hockey fights, and just a big whiner and just brutal. It's just so hard to listen to. He's just a big whining baby when it comes to fights. And then uh, Davidson, who's usually pretty good, but then it gets to the point where he's like, oh, this is just too much and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's really just, it's almost like you're, um, you can tell by the announced team which team is getting the better of the fight because one team, and, and the Islander color guy was Ed Westfall, and he pisses me off because he made his bones with the Bruins and the Islanders Never had to watch his back at all with those two teams, yet he would always criticize the fighting and everything like that. But um, you listen to both broadcasts and the Islander broadcast, it still gives me goosebumps. That was, uh, I mean, it really was the the lone highlight of that playoff run because it didn't last very long. Yeah, that, uh, I know watching the fight tapes and stuff, and it's like you try to watch that Ranger shit and that friggin' Sam Rosen. Oh, that yeah. guy's just nauseating. And then I, I did what they put him in the friggin' Hall of Fame last year or two years ago. It was like, are you shitting yeah. me? Like, oh, that yeah. guy's terrible. It's it's really annoying to listen to listen to him, and he still does the games now. And I mean, I don't watch him too much anymore, but it was tedious, you know. And even and, and I will give him credit because it wasn't just that he was uh, anti fighting when the other teams did well, like after a while, like when they had their, you know, Dolier, Kosu, you know, those guys, they go on tears and he would eventually start whining like, Oh, let's get back to hockey. And it's just like, dude, come on. Like, you know, you don't have to like it, but uh, you turn, you know, listen, whether they like it or not, a lot of people are tuning in to watch that. Maybe not only to watch that, 
but you're turning off your audience. No one wants to hear that bullshit. Just do your job. And if you don't want to talk about it, let David to talk about it and just shut up. Well, that's the thing. Your announcers are your sales team, right? You know, and he's sitting there crying about it. Meanwhile, after the fight's done, they're showing the crowd and everyone's banging on the glass and yeah. dudes are high-fiving and everything else. And, oh, isn't this awful? Let's just get back right. to hockey. It's like you sound yeah. like a, yeah. a mope, right? It's just like, what are you doing? Like, And it's and it's always the guys like that, that you know in life or if they played hockey, would be the guys that would need protection would need guys to come to their aid like you think they'd be grateful that there are human beings like that to protect people like him it's amazing yeah well it was like <laughs> it was davidson was all right i mean he was okay every once in a while he'd get a little sometimes he'd get a little homer whiny but overall yeah. he'd at least sort of stick up for it and you know because he rose and be like i don't know what prevent what started this and davidson would yeah. kind of well you know, it was a cross check in the first period, or oh, they're just trying to get their name. You know, it was so. Davidson kind of was obviously, you know, would take the other side of the coin. But oh uh, yeah, I could. It, it was funny because I was just lit, I can't remember what fight it was, but it was a Ranger fight on one of the late at night. I had a fight DVD going and sitting in my big chair, and all of a sudden I hear Sam Rosen's screechy voice. I'm like, oh god, yeah. Davidson, I, I always liked Davidson. Where he lost me, and I, and I, and not that he gives a fuck if I respect him or not, but where I lost a lot of respect for him was when um, yeah, the Domi and Samuelson thing. When yep. Domi did, and I, I'm not a Ty Domi fan. I respect him. I've never been a fan of his. Uh, I always say, you know, coming up with the Rangers, he was hard to root for. Obviously, he's an Islander fan. Had he come up with another team, probably would love the guy, but not a Ty Domi fan. But everybody was a Ty Domi fan the night that he knocked out Alf Samuelson. And you listen to it, and you hear Davidson. And I'm sure Davidson, what he said is probably what every team's broadcaster said when they got that piece of shit on their team. You know, Alf Samuelson is trying to change his game, and he's trying to do the right thing now, and he's trying to follow the rules, and blah, blah, blah. And I go, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. As a former player, this guy has, I mean, just, left a line of bodies in the in his wake, you know, of, of his dirty cheap shot bullshit. And now you're going to say, he, obviously you're not going to say he deserves it, but to sit here and praise him saying how he's trying to change his game and all this other nonsense, I go, give me a fucking break. That is just total horseshit. And, and I want to say, you, you're saying it, but there's no way you can honestly believe what you're saying. There's no chance that you believe a word of what you're saying. So, cut the shit. Because he got what he deserved. He should have got more, and it wasn't enough. And I'm sure everybody who ever played against him would say the same thing. But then you got Davidson crying about how it's unfair that he suckered him. No, that's exactly what he deserved, and he should have got it earlier. Yep. No, yeah, exactly. It was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that was. Uh, yeah, like you said, Tito. We got a lot. If uh, if only for the night, he definitely got a few more fans or a whole lot of more fans after that punch. That's for sure. No doubt. But, uh, yeah, just moving on, just kind of, uh, you know, just throw some names. And uh, actually, it was funny because I was going through the uh, the Islander roster. And, of course, you have, uh, you know, you get, like you, you brought up earlier, you get, like uh, Gary Nyland and, uh, you know, Dale Henry and Brian Curran and Brent Severin and Ken Belanger and Baruby for a, for about half a second. And, 
and mm. stuff like that. But uh, actually, I always forget. I completely forget Berube ever played on the Islanders. I always forget <laughs> about that, actually. But uh, yeah, the one guy I was actually surprised with, a good old Western boy, and I was always a huge fan of him when he played here in Red Deer. Like I was a huge fan, and I didn't realize he actually played three hundred games on the island. Was Aaron Asham? Oh yeah, I love Ash. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate where. I got to know him a bit when he was at Fredericton. When Fredericton had had that team, uh, was like him and Terry Ryan and, mm-hmm. and Jerry Fleming and Darcy Harris and Cody Dwyer and uh, Joel Terrio. Oh no, that was Quebec Terrio, but uh, the same guys as from Quebec, and they had uh, a, a Blue Anne, I think, was there and Morissette. So I got to I got to know Ash with that team. So I, I've been fortunate enough where I don't know what year it was, but I've been pretty friendly with him for a lot of time and. Uh, He's just, when they, I remember when they announced the trade, we were at, um, Islanders draft party and they had it at, um, some club here on Long Island. They set it up and they had the draft on the big screen and they made the announcement that, uh, Aaron Asham was acquired for Marius Tchaikovsky. And I go, I'm like screaming. I'm like, Oh yes. You know, and it was good because my wife, you know, my wife's a big hockey fan. She's actually a bigger fan of the sport now than I am. But, you know, she would come on all these road trips with me and meet the guys and everything. So she knew full well who Asham was. And she was not a very big Tchaikovsky fan. And obviously, I am not a big Mary Tchaikovsky fan. So they make the announcement. And I'm like, people, I think I might have been the only one who knew who he was. Because people were just staring at me. And <laughs> I was fucking pumped, right? I'm like, oh my God, they got rid of Tchaikovsky and added Asham. And I was just... Oh man, I was so happy. And you know what? He, he was so good here on the island. I mean, he had some really, really good fights. He had a nice rivalry with, rivalry with Barnaby. Um, and he was just so much fun to watch, man. You know, and he's, he's done the tour. He did the Patrick Division tour. I think he hit all the teams now. But uh, man, you know what? He's, he's a guy that I love. And um, I'll defend. I mean, he did some broadcasting, I think, a year or two ago. And people are just ripping him on on uh, social media. And I, look, was he uh, was he Don Cherry back in the day? No, but nobody is. And uh, I just said, look, you know, the guy's just starting out and everything. And let's see you do it, you know. And uh, you know, Ash is one of those guys I'll defend. I'll defend to the death, man. I, I love that kid, and uh, he's a great guy. And he does stuff here on the island with kids and stuff. So uh, I love him. I love him, and he's a good player too. I mean. You know he's not going to score 50 goals, but he's going to he's going to score a goal here or there. He's going to have a huge hit here or there. And you know, I think people sometimes they look at his size. He's kind of he's a thick guy, like he's strong as hell. So just because he's not six five, I mean he does some damage. And uh, if people go on your YouTube page and and just put his name in there, I'm sure he got some really really nice fights in it. So. I, all the guys that ever played, but like even like you mentioned, Ruby, another guy who had a cup of coffee with the Islanders, Danny Lacroix, all these guys who did the job and played on the Islanders, I love them. And, you know, fortunately, I, I'm fortunate enough to know Ash uh, pretty well, and I love the guy, and uh, always, always a crowd pleaser, never disappointed. You know, he was great. Yeah, and if anybody goes to, uh, anybody listening to this, go to, uh, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube or is, is my YouTube channel, and if you just type in on the little search Aaron Asham, I got a bunch of his W like his junior stuff when he played for Red Deer on there, and he was a man back at Red Deer, man. You know, oh, yeah. you talk, like the dude had like 
back to back like forty goal seasons and like and he was just like and he just like whipped dudes' asses too, you know, and like he was yeah. Oh, I loved Aaron. Those Red Deer teams back then were awesome. Him and Mike Brown yeah. and Lloyd Shaw and all those guys. Terry mm-hmm. Ryan for uh, when they made the run there. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Red, Red Deer was awesome. I loved Red Devin Frankon and shit. They were great. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like you said, those Fredericton teams, that's just, that team's just ridiculous, those Fredericton teams. Like, and that team was great. And the bad thing was, like, Terrian was their coach. Yeah. That was such a ball buster. Thank God Jerry Fleming was there, you know, because, uh, I think at that point, Jerry, I don't think Jerry played, I think Jerry played maybe a season when Terry played there. I think it was like Jerry was there playing, Brad Brown might have played, and Terry might have been a rookie. And then I think Jerry went to be an assistant coach and they had all these guys. And it was just like, if you have 20 guys in the roster and two of them are goalies and I have 18 guys, it was like every third guy was a light heavyweight at worst and a monster heavyweight at best. And I mean, you know, they had like Terry Ryan, people know because, you know, first round pick, and, uh, you know, played some games in Montreal. I mean, now they know him really such a great guy. His personality is amazing. But back in the day, you know, first round pick Montreal played some games. Um, you know, Gordy Dwyer played some games, NHL. You know, one guy who never gets talked about ever and was tough as fucking now is Darcy Harris. Yep. I mean, that guy, that, first of all, Darcy is such a good, I call him a kid. He's a now in, in uh, PEI and he doesn't look like a kid anymore he looks like an adult but I just Darcy Harris every time I would see the guy just had this big smile on his face the guy was always happy like he was like he was just he's playing pro hockey like to me I, guys that are miserable like you're you're playing a pro sport and obviously there's more to it you have real life stuff but I tell him when, when we speak I'm like dude the one thing I always remember about you is you just were always smiling and if you saw him in a suit, he looked like he could be a businessman, you know, but you get him on the ice, and that guy was a savage. When he yeah, he, fought, was. he he had a fight one night, I remember, in Springfield uh, with David Bell that was unbelievable. And I don't, I think it's on video, but what a fight. I mean, just the kid is super, super tough. And sometimes he gets overshadowed. Like I said, guys like Terry and Gordy that played NHL games, so then Bluen, Marset, but, um, Darcy was tough, and those Fredericton teams were off the charts fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I remember being here, in, in, of course, like, you know, out in Saskatchewan and stuff. You, I mean, you never saw AHL stuff, but yeah. TSM would do that rinkside TV show. Mm-hmm. And that that mm-hmm. was like the greatest half an hour ever because they would, <laughs> like, uh, uh, you know, Selleck and them, they would show the fights and stuff. So yeah, of course there was always like Fredericton and Cape Breton, and they're showing the Bird Dog and Jerry Fleming mm-hmm. and Harris, and oh, it was, it, yeah. and you're just watching it like, oh my god, I wish I could see this stuff, right? That's what I was saying. It was funny. I can't remember who I was talking to the other day, and I said, uh, I said it's amazing now with the technology we have and the internet and everything. I mean, you could see any game in any league at any time nowadays. Yeah, I said we have all the technology. That- we have all the technology, and no one fights. I said. I if, think that was your uh, that was your talk with uh, Rob. I think yes. that was your interview with Rob because when you when you said that, I'm like, oh my god, 100. Because yeah. like I said, you're talking about that show ringside, and I, I mean, we got it here on the sports channel, so I'd watch that, and I, that's that was really, 
a lot of times that was my first exposure to a lot of guys. I mean, that was the first time I know I'd seen Dennis Bonvi. You know, they'd show the Cape Breton fights, and that was the first time I'd seen him, um, you know, uh, aside from the fight tapes. But, I mean, they really, they got it. Like, you know, it's, it's, there's certain things in life where no matter what the entity is, or, you know, they either get it or they don't. And the ringside show, and I know they put out a VHS called Gunning for the Pigs. I had a word that I still have it somewhere. Um, and they had a lot of fights on that and they got it. They understood, especially, you know, for the minor leagues, your audience likes to see this. So they got it and they always had fights on the show with the half hour show. So they're going to put the goals and they're going to put in the great seats, but you know, they always had their fair share of fights in there. So those, whoever did the production, I don't know if that was Hodge or anything like that, but whoever did the production, they got it. They understood what people wanted. And that's why it's, was it a big show? I don't know. I know here in New York, it, it had a kind of like, a, you know, if you talk amongst the other fight fans, like everyone watched it, so it kind of had a cult following. But for me, that was a never miss. That was a show I had to watch. You know, I had the VHS set up and recorded it every time I could. Oh, yeah. Well, that, like you said, that was my exposure to like Darcy Harris and, and mm-hmm. Frank Bialois and, and Dennis yeah. Bonvie and, uh, you know, because those, especially like the guys in Ontario, right? Because those were OHL yeah. guys. So, I mean, we never saw them. You know, and it was just like, I knew the Western guys, so it was really cool on there to all of a sudden see Rocky in St. John yeah. and stuff like that, because it's like, oh, hey, there's our yeah. guy, right? And stuff like, that, you know, and Kerry Clark or whoever, but it was just like, yeah, it was, uh, oh, it was a different time. These these kids nowadays, they don't know how easy they got it. Yeah, but... Uh, no idea. No but, idea. Uh, well, then going through the Islanders, another, another one of my boys there, an old Saskatchewan guy and a Western leaguer. Old uh, old Brendan Witt rocking the blue line. Man, you know when they got when they got him. I mean, I I um, always rooted for uh, back then. I was always a fan of the Capitals teams because they always had tough teams. And uh, fortunate enough to call Kevin Kaminsky a friend, so um, I always followed them. They were an easy team to root for. You know, you get like Killer and. Ruby and Chris Simon and Tenorti and Brendan Witt. I mean, that that's that's a rogues gallery if there ever was one. So, yep. I mean, you follow Brendan Witt's a guy we're both old enough, you know, seeing. Uh, I didn't see him in Seattle until I got obviously some fight tapes, but um, in the NHL, you, you see the guy's whole career and um, just plays the game the way it should be played. Just old school physical defenseman. Um, fight anybody, you know, and, you know, you see some of these guys and I know um, some of these guys that in today's game that do the role. And I don't mean Ryan Reeves. I love Ryan Reeves. Um, They don't necessarily fight everybody uh, because they think they're too good of a player to maybe fight somebody else. Um, Brendan Witt was a first round pick, if I'm not mistaken. Brendan Witt was a top, top, line top defense pair defenseman and Brendan Witt didn't pick his spots and Brendan Witt played like a wrecking ball every game. So when you get a guy like Brendan Witt, just forget about um, the on ice stuff. Now he's, he's a leader and he's an old school leader. So you add that to any locker room and that's a bonus. So, um, you know, I, I love Brendan Witt. I'm glad he was an Islander. Um, 
And I mean, you know, just look at the guy's career. It speaks for himself. It speaks for itself, you know, but, uh, I'm happy he was down there. Like I said, these guys that did the job and, and Brendan was probably more talented than a lot of guys that did the job, but just when they put on that crest, whether it's for one game or one season or a couple of seasons, to me, they just become part of the brotherhood. And, uh, and Brendan Witt to me is a big part of that. And, um, uh, I'm again, I'm, I'm glad he was an Islander. There's really, you know, not much else to say about Brendan Witt other than the fact that I go to war with that guy anytime. And, uh, he made the game a lot more enjoyable when he was an Islander for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, uh, we'll just kind of real wrap, wind down. Actually, here's an interesting case. Cause he was a Ranger. Then he became an Islander. He's a big motherfucker. Yeah. yeah, I think you'll know where I'm going with this. And he actually uh, kind of really, really grew into the role with the Islanders as Eric Cairns. Hello? Hello? Yeah, I lost you there. Oh. Are, are you, <laughs> you missing me? I missed you terribly. The last thing, I, I know who you're talking about, but uh, I didn't actually hear you say his name. Okay, hold on. I'm gonna just mark, just mark this 55:41. Okay, all right. Okay, well, I'll just I'll do this again. A guy that played for the Rangers and then became an Islander, who a big motherfucker and uh, really came into his own on the island was Eric Karens. We could talk here for hours about Eric Karens. Eric Karens, um, I met him. Well, I used to work for hockey photographers for uh, Bruce Bennett Studios, and uh, several drafts uh, we would have um, uh, four or five photographers at the drafts. And then what would happen is a lot of times we take the headshots of guys, and then we would get them, and you're looking at them a year or two later, and you don't know who anyone is. And then um, uh, Bruce got the idea: well, let's bring someone to kind of uh, do crowd control and keep track of these guys. So my job, I, I might have worked five or six drafts. My job was when we took the guy's headshot, I'd write down his name, write down the order we uh, took his picture. And one of the great parts about that job was I would get to talk to these guys, like the guys I wanted to talk to, like, uh, you know, Karen Z, uh, one of the guys I looked forward to meeting so much was Matt Johnson. Um, and these guys would, would come and, uh, you know, and the thing is, no matter how big a fish you are in the pond you, you played junior in, when for whatever reason, and, and we know these guys are real humble, when they would come to the draft or come to, say, an NHL city, a big city, New York, whatever it is, when you tell the, the player that you're a fan of theirs and you're not like, in, in Karen's case, I, I never uh, didn't see him play in the OHL. I, I, didn't, I was never in an OHL city he played in. Um, but here I am telling them, man, I'm a big fan of yours and everything. And they just get this look on their face like, really? You know, like, are you kidding me? And um, Eric is one of the guys who I met at the draft. And we stayed in contact with pretty much, I mean, pretty still. I mean, now it's more texting and everything. But so I was always a fan of his. Even though he was a ranger, I was always a fan of his because he was a really, really nice kid. A really, really nice guy and easy to root for. And... Um, the best part about his career is when the Rangers, uh, I think how the Islanders got him is I think they wanted to send him down to the minors and he didn't clear waivers and the Islanders got him. And it was kind of like you watch this guy with the Rangers and he's getting hit on the button a lot. 
and you just want to shake them and go, man, extend that arm, extend that arm. These guys can't reach you, you know, because when he hit guys, it hurts, you know, and he got his arm loose and he hit guys, he did some damage. And for whatever reason, and it's funny because I never really asked him, so it should have been a question that I had asked him, is uh, he became an absolute monster with the Islanders. And um, not only that, and I'm not saying that Eric Tan is Dennis Podman, but Eric, I think what happened with the Islanders was he came from a bad situation with the Rangers and um, came to a team that needed him, you know, needed his muscle, gave him a chance to play. And I think his confidence went up, not just as a fighter, but as a player. Yep. And Chance took a regular shift for a long time with this team and did pretty well. And people that don't know it and didn't watch it at the time will look at his penalty minutes, look at his fights, and say, well, the guy was just a fighter. But if you watch the games, you know, the fact is the guy took a regular shift many, many nights. He was He took, I'd say... Listen, he's playing on the third defense pair, so he's not getting as much ice time as the top pair. But he's playing a decent amount, and he's taking on all comers. And, um, you know, there are easy guys to root for in all walks of life. And Eric is a real easy guy to root for. And it's just, for me, it's great because he went from a team that I hate to my team and just became an absolute savage. I mean, the, the, the reign of terror that he had is uh, probably second to none. I mean, Bomber had a good run with the Islanders, but it wasn't as long. Um, Terrence had, had some years. Uh, he was just breaking guys' faces. I mean, it was like, and if you ever shook hands with the guy, I mean, the guy's hand, you, you, you shake his hand, it's like putting it in, in a big envelope. And if he makes a fist, it's like a cinder block. You don't want to get hit with that. And it was just, I mean, probably, the, I mean, the pinnacle, I'm sure, was the playoffs when he handled Corson. Um, it was, that series was just incredible. And oh, yeah. Tim Cummins has played with a bunch of teams and played in Chicago in the old stadium. Told me once that game at the Coliseum where Terrence fought Corson and Sean Bates had the penalty shot is probably the loudest arena he has ever been in. Um, the roof. I wish I was there. I was actually living in Philadelphia at the time. I was watching it on TV. And again, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. It's like, I mean, to me, Cairns is an all timer uh, for the Islanders. As far as fighting goes, he's a terrific kid. Uh, I'm glad he's still working for the team. And, um, you know, I was really sad to see him go when um, when he went to Florida. I think he went first. Yep. He had a bad playoff. He had a bad playoff against Tampa, and uh, I think the writing was on the wall that he was going to go. Uh, but you're always holding out hope that he's not. But then he did, and um, well, they had it, that it, was I mean, like right after the. Then they had the lockout that year because he went to London. Yeah, yeah, in '04, yep. '05, and then '05, '06, he started. He went to Florida. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it was, uh, I mean, he did. And I don't think, you know, when I'm saying he had a bad playoff, I don't know, I don't think he had a bad playoff. I think he had a bad couple of shifts in a game, and one of the shifts led to a goal. And, you know, you and I both know it's easy to scapegoat these guys. Um, You know, so it's easy to say, well, he did something wrong, and it led to a goal that contributed to a loss. Um, But he was no more culpable than the rest of the team. But, you know, it's easy to scapegoat. 
your sixth or seventh defenseman rather than your top defenseman or your your top center. So, oh, um, yeah. you know, the the, I mean, if there's a guy to watch his videos, I mean, on the Islanders, I mean, Cairns is just, you know, the fight with uh, McCarthy. You know, when McCarthy was running his mouth, and um, you know the the restraint it took because Theo Fleury running his mouth a lot about how Cairns throws. He said that Cairns throws pillows. And uh, I said, man, for a guy that he could knock into next week, he's got a pretty big mouth. And uh, and then the next game, I think that's when he fought McCarthy and, and beat him in the fight. And, um, you know, Cairns is just – I get a smile on my face when I talk about him because I just uh, – you know, you just run through the Rolodex in your head of his fights, and it's just just destruction after destruction. You know, Todd Sidorik and uh, just uh, what he did to him – and uh, which which sucked on a personal level because Todd's a great guy and everything, but just in the heat of the moment, you're you're watching this and uh, just the damage that Terrence did to guys is just phenomenal. So uh, I had a big smile on my face right now talking about the E train for sure. Absolutely. Well, we'll just uh, and the last well and the last guy I got we got to get this guy in and here's another one of my favorites, an old uh, an, another Western leaguer, Eric Goddard. Yeah. That was um, that worked out great because Goddard was with the Panthers, um, and then I don't know. I think what happened was they. I don't know what the situation was where he didn't. He wasn't getting something like Louisville. I don't know if the Islanders were sending guys to Louisville or Louisville didn't have room for him, and they loaned him to Bridgeport or something where he was still Florida property. And uh, eventually, the Islanders must have liked what they saw, and they worked out the deal for him. And uh, when he was playing with Cairns, that was uh, that was a couple of big boys there, you know. And uh, those games uh, against the Rangers were pretty awesome because those games the Rangers were throwing out Simon, who I love, Chris Simon, uh, but he wasn't the Chris Simon of Quebec or Washington at that point. Uh, Purinton was out there who. Um, is another guy, another Karen highlight of mine when uh, Purinton suckered him, and then he was scared to death to be in the same area as him after that. But you had Goddard and Cairns out there. They pretty much ran the show. So uh, I love Goddard. And I remember the first time I met Goddard in Bridgeport, I thought he literally broke my hand when he shook it. The guy was strong. And, um, uh, I mean, another guy really, you know, I mean, soft-spoken guy, but just just tough as nails, you know. I mean, uh, I mean, what do you say about these? I, I miss these guys. Like I'm talking to you now, and I'm kind of getting really nostalgic because I just miss these guys. You know, you miss these guys in the game, and you know, it, it's, it's. I mean, I'm just gonna get on my soapbox. I mean, you know, sports now, it's such a me time for sports and, and uh, athletes. And here you you eliminate the role, the most. I mean, to me, the two most selfless roles in sports our offensive lineman in football and the hockey enforcer. And you just, your, your, your sole purpose, your main purpose is to protect the other guys on the bench so they can get the glory, you know, and you're literally putting your life on the line, literally putting your life on the line. Um, So the other guys on your bench have room to get the glory. You know, it's like offensive lineman in football. If you do your job right, nobody knows your name 
but your quarterback and your running back and your receiver are getting the big contracts and getting the big money. But if they know your name, it usually means you did something wrong because you took a penalty or, or whatever. But, you, you know, I would say you eliminate the most selfless, noble role in the sport with these enforcers. And not only that, in, in hockey, I think more than any sport, these guys are good guys and they do so much in the community. But the, the enforcers, they do, they, they did, uh, you know, speaking here, you know, being on the island all these years and knowing these guys, a guy like Brent Severin, the guy, Jesus, every time Brent Severin wasn't at practice or playing in a game, he was somewhere with kids, like in a children's hospital or doing something. I mean, the guy just was always, always doing something out in the community, you know, and, and they're all like that, you know, and uh, like, it just bugs me that everyone is so short-sighted thinking, well, we don't need these guys. We don't need, you know, ask the guys who score the goals, man. I mean, I, you know, say what you want about, uh, you know, Brett Hole is, Brett Hole is this goal scorer, this and that. You know what I remember most about Brett Hole? Brett Hole was always a champion for guys like Twist and Kimball and Chase and those guys. The guy, he would t- obviously, you can't be that great of a player and not talk about your accolades and stuff like that. But, man, it seemed like every chance that guy got, he would talk about Tony Twist or talk about Kelly Chase or talk about Darren Kimball. Like, I really admire that because – It'd be easy for Brett Hall to go, yeah, I'm fucking awesome. I scored a million goals and nobody, you know, Adam Oates helps me, but blah, blah, blah. But no, it's just, it's such a noble role that has been eliminated from the game. And I think it's, it's a much worse game for it. It's just sports. I think in general is not just a selfish thing. Um, it's a me thing, especially ESPN, you know, type attention span that people have now, but man, you know, I think of uh, the guys we're talking about, like Eric Goddard or Cairns or, you know, Bomber and Lakota, these guys, it's just, it's a shame that, that, uh, you know, there, there's no room for these guys anymore. It really sucks. Well, again, like I always say, the game lost a lot of character when they got rid of those guys. And, uh, yeah. you know, and, uh, yeah, well, in their pursuit to, you know, with the, the CTE and the concussions and everything else, it's like, you know, they're, again, as we were saying before, it's sort of the easy scapegoat with those guys and, but uh, I mean, you're gonna. I think you're just gonna see more and more of it without those guys around, which they can't. Which well, is a concept they can't seem to grasp. I mean, we're these new age fans that like to argue about it all the time, and you know. But it's you. Well, I mean, the, the the poster boy for the league is Sidney Crosby. How many concussions has he had? Yep. The guy's never. I mean, has he ever taken a punch or thrown a punch? I don't think so. I mean, he might have. I have no idea. But. There's your there's your CTE. That guy's gonna have CTE. There's no chance he doesn't. If 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 concussions, and I believe they are, I'm not saying they're not, but if concussions and head trauma is what leads to CTE, that guy will have CTE because of how many concussions he suffered. Now, if you get a guy, you get a heavyweight on his team, does he prevent all of those concussions? No. But how many concussions did Wayne Gretzky ever had? Yep. <laughs> You know, do the math. Even the guys on, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh had tough players. They, they never had, uh, you know, if you think about it through the years, you know, they, they had the, um, you know, every now and then they'd have a Jim McKenzie or someone like that, but they never had like the, like the coach or Probert types, you know, they'd have guys who fight. They, they didn't necessarily have an assassin on their team, but they had guys who did the job. And how many concussions did Lemieux have? Yep. Or, oh, Steve Eiserman, how many concussions did he have? So, 
you know, I can sit here, I mean, we can both sit here and throw out names from the past of guys who had players riding shotgun for them to protect them. I mean, Sidney Crosby, what they give you half a year in Pittsburgh? And yeah. by then, Crosby had, what, eight, seven, eight concussions? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, that's not enough. And Reeves is, is a monster now in this day and age. I love Reeves, but in the 80s or the mid-90s, he's a middleweight. Yeah, well, and the thing is with these guys, I mean, like you said, there's some tough guys around, like, you know, but the rules have handcuffed them. I mean, yeah. you can have the toughest yeah. guy in the world now. He can't really do anything. Like, somebody was saying, uh, well, like when uh, Wilson was running around there on Vegas and somebody's like, well, why doesn't Reeves just grab somebody then? And, you know, well, he can't. If he does, it's going to yeah. end up, like I always say, like the perfect example is when Sean Thornton did that to Orpec. Well, yeah. he ended up getting 15 games and probably losing mm-hmm. $200,000 in, in money. And, well, there you go. You know, it's not yeah. like in the old days it would have just been, you know, probably 2-5 and, a, you know, 10-minute misconduct or something and life goes on. You know, mm-hmm. now they're just, yeah. you know, you're getting 10 games if you grab a guy and slap him around. So it's like, yeah, no, they've handcuffed the role. Even if you are tough, yeah. there's really there's really no much, not much you can do about it. Yeah, and let's let's um, one guy I want to mention because um, you've mentioned him on a couple of your uh, shows here with some of the guys. Uh, he was here with the Islanders for a few seasons. Is Trevor Gillies? Yep. I mean, uh, I had kind of stepped away from the game because of the way it was going, and I had kind of, I, I basically basically had one foot out the door, and then. Um, all of a sudden the Islanders come up with Trevor Gillies and Kanopka and Michael Haley and Matt Martin. Um, you know, Travis Hamannick wouldn't mind going every now and then. And I'm going, wait a second, these guys might be pretty interesting this year. And, um, you know, for just to mention Gillies because he's just retired this season, but uh, I mean, Gillies is, is just a madman and a great guy. And, you know, he's the guy, I think because, um, you know, like I mentioned with the offensive linemen, if you know their name, they did something wrong. And, you know, Gillies, the last few years in the minors, if you saw anything that he did, it was because he did something pretty extreme. So then you get the people writing about, oh, Trevor Gillies is everything wrong with hockey and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I just, the guy outlasted he, he the people who wanted him out years ago. And he went out on his own terms. And not many guys can say that. And not many guys can say that in this day and age. And, you know, he's loved here on the island. People love him out here. And uh, I, he's doing well. And he's doing uh, business now with, like, uh, credit card processing, I think. And he's doing really well with that. I'd love to see him back here on the island in some capacity. But uh, I don't know if that would ever happen. But, I mean, the guys, he's, he really is the last of the dinosaurs. And, uh played his way and uh did he go over the line sometimes sure but that's uh sometimes going over the line is what needed to be done and uh he did his job and i don't think there's a player that ever played with him that would say a bad thing about him because he always had their back so uh it's a shame the game the game got a lot less entertaining this year with uh without trevor gillies in uh in any any league so it's uh it's a real shame that he's gone but uh god the guy had a great career so uh i'm really proud of him yeah, no, Gillies was great, and uh, and like you said, it was it was always funny because you know, yeah, a few things. I always say Gill, Gillies Gillies played a decade too late. 
if he'd come yeah. around in the nineties and you know, he would have been fine. He would have fit right in. And, you know, I always laugh at these people. They put up the, Oh, did you see what he did? And it's like, Oh yeah. That, yeah. We used to call that Tuesday, you know, like, yeah. but you guys are, you, these guys are crying about, Oh, it should be, they, you know, they want to give him uh, three to five years in the penitentiary or something. It's like, Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, Oh well, that's I, I guess that's my disconnect with the the majority of people on the new age fans on Twitter and stuff. They get all up in arms and all oh, they want to charge Brad Marchant with assault and oh yeah whatever yeah okay. I just call them I call them the Corsi kids. I don't really have time to debate with any of them. I don't really. I know sometimes you get into it with people on, on Twitter and everything. I don't really. I can't do it because. I don't care enough. Not that you do. I'm just saying in general. Like my wife will sometimes have these roaring arguments with people on social media, and I just can't get. I just can't get involved in it. Like if someone goes, uh, you know, oh, Trevor Gillies is an animal or an ape or whatever, you're like, all right, that's what you think. I don't care because I don't. I don't really care what anyone else thinks about anything that I may like or dislike. It doesn't really matter to me. So if you if by you sitting behind your keyboard. Oh, well, no, Cairns is this, or Goddard is this, or Baumgartner is this, or Makota is this. Well, okay, that's fine. I don't, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. They're certainly not going to lose any sleep over it. And if this brand of hockey right now is what you like, then more power to you. Because I, I root for a team right now that has three guys on the roster that, that will fight if, if, if need be. And it's still tough to watch the games. So, um, you know, I think a lot of it is, and, and again, you'll relate to this, you didn't have, the fight did not have to happen in the games that we watched for me to enjoy the game. A lot of it was the anticipation, like yep. that it could happen. Yep. And if the game got out of hand, yeah, all right, so maybe it's time to send a message or maybe get some retribution. If it's a two-to-one game going into the third period, I'm not expecting there to be a fight, but it's going to get physical. But it's just, all right, you know, back in the day, it was the schedule's out. Perfect. So now I get the schedule. All right, October, we got uh, this team's coming in. Quebec is coming in. All right, Dan Kimball's coming in. All right, uh, Montreal's coming in. Todd Ewan's coming in. Uh, you know, Winnipeg's coming in. Gordon Lee. You know, the Rangers are coming in. You know, okay, perfect. And you had to get your tickets right away because, I mean, not for the Winnipeg game, but for the Ranger game, you had to get, you had to get your tickets yeah. right away because they'd be instant sellouts and you knew something was going to happen. And uh, there's just, uh, I think the other day, uh, for uh, the Sharks game, I think they had almost 9,000 people uh, for the Islander Sharks game. So uh, I'm not saying that has all to do with uh, physical play, but, you know, I, I stay away. So, yeah, no, it's uh, like you said, but yeah, there was always just that vibe, right? That something could happen and you could just like the teams just didn't like each other. And it was, yeah. just, and it was just, uh, there was always, yeah, there was just always, you could kind of feel a hate a little bit, and it was just, I don't know, there was just something, and it's just completely gone now, and, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, whatever. No, I try to, well, that... I'm trying to get better at not fighting on Twitter, but sometimes it just gets <laughs> the best of me. But it's not so much just fighting to fight. I always seem that my arguments always end up being, I'm sticking up for the boys. And yeah. It's, and it's just kind of, because it just drives me nuts. When, you know, I'll put a picture up of a guy or I'll say something with a guy and then it's always, oh, he's a goon or he's a thug or he's useless. And it's just like, uh, you know what, motherfucker, you know, like, yeah. and it's, uh, and then I'll kind of, that's when I kind of get into it a little bit. So it's always, right. you know, I'm trying to stay away, I'm trying to stay away. Like my wife <laughs> says, why do you bother? 
And it's not like I'm getting mad about it. Like I'm sitting yeah. here just like, yeah, whatever. I'll type back. Plus, you know, especially if I'm at work, you know, uh, being a government worker, I have a lot of time to reply. So it's like, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it sort of like passes the time. But yeah, it's it's more just kind of head shaking it. But I mean, at this point, after being on Twitter for a few years, I'm sort of I'm sort of used to the vibe of uh, yeah. social media now, or at least where the where the hockey kind of uh, community is now. Yeah, I mean, and we're yeah. definitely yeah. in the minority in terms of age and and yeah. our mindset, right? Oh yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, like one of the things you just brought up about the hate, you know, back in the day, and that to me is one of the things that I will always say that like uh, a Mick Fakoda brought. I don't think, yeah, obviously, I don't Mick Fakoda. I'm sure did not and maybe does not like a Rob Ray or a Ty Domi. You know, probably his two biggest rivals. But he played every game like he hated the other team as much as we did in the stands. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And for me, and, and you know, nowadays everyone's got the same agent and they're palling around and the warm-ups and all this other stuff. And that's fine. That's just the way the sport has evolved. But you got the feeling back then that your team didn't like the other team. You're sitting in the crowd hating the other team and your guys hated the other team too. And a guy like Lakota, when they played the Rangers, you got the feeling that he hated them as much as you did. And how could you not root for a guy like that? Yeah. You know? When, and that's the thing. And I, I was saying it, I can't remember what show I was on. I was talking about, I said, everybody, the media and everybody, the hockey people always like to sell goals. And I understand that. I mean, the skill level and blah, blah, blah. That's, well, that's what sells the game. Well, yeah, a little bit. But I can tell you what sells the game and what you guys are completely missing the boat on and where the rules have taken it is passion sells the game. Yeah. And you will not. Yeah. And I could tell you these games that are happening right now and into November, December, January, oh, they're, they're love fests. I mean, you don't hear the boards rattle once. Yeah, once the playoffs start, oh, okay, now we're going to see something. Oh, so I got to I gotta sit through six months of horse shit to get to the good stuff. Oh, well, you've lost me. Well, in the, game, the game's down here on, uh, I think it's NBC Sports Network. They have their rivalry night. Yes. So when I was growing up, we had, we had real rivalries. Islanders and Rangers the Canadians in Quebec, the Flames and the Oilers, uh, the whole Norris division hating each other, right? Now it's rivalry night. Winnipeg at New Jersey. What? Yeah. What? How? Rivalry night? What? And even, even the rivalry games. There's there's no... Yeah, we, we hate the Rangers more than the players do, and the Ranger fans hate the Islanders more than the players do, because now it's a more gentlemanly game. But you're... Like, I laugh with the rivalry night, because what do they show in every every promo for rivalry night? They'll show a fight. Yeah. And that's more physical play than you'll get in that game. You know? So it's just, it's just uh, you know, like I said, when I was telling my wife who was going to be talking to you tonight, I said, uh, it's just going to be two old guys talking about how things used to be better. And uh, I always call myself the Walt Kowalski of the neighborhood here. Uh, you know, from Grand Torino, just a cranky old man. But, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm happy I got to see the sports when I did. I, I would think I told, I mean, I probably wouldn't know any better watching the hockey now. But, man, I wouldn't treat what I saw for the world. 
No, that's what I said to Farmer Rob. I said, well, we grew up watching the good stuff anyway. So, But, uh, well, yeah, here, moving on. The first time, like I was saying before, we'll move on here. But the first time I read your name in print uh, was while I was reading Stan Fischler's Bad Boys books, which were a series of interview with the tough guys. And I think there was, I have them. They're somewhere on my shelf as I turn over my shoulder here. Uh, Was there three? No, four. Three. I think there was four. Four. Was it I four? think there were four. One of them, one of them wasn't. I don't think one of them was that great, to be honest with you. But uh, there were four. I think. I, I know. I, I know. Every once in a while, in a couple of them, there was a few. There was a few uh, suspect. Like, what's this guy doing? Matt Schneider or something. <laughs> but but hey, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but the books itself. I mean, again, and I, I mean, you know, to any of the younger people listening, they're like, okay, whatever. But I mean. Back then, I mean, this was like there was no internet where you could see all the interviews with these guys or whatever. So this was like a big deal for these books to come out. Oh, and here's an interview with Darren Kimball. Like this is going to be awesome. Yeah. How did you get involved yeah. in all that? Well, the Fisher books. Were how is Stan? Book, I I'm obviously you know Stan. I would assume. No, really? Nope. Never met him. Never met him. Um, I think what happens is with these books. And I, I don't know. I, I might be talking out of school here. Um, the, how I got involved in that, I had already done uh, the Tough Guy magazine. And actually, the first the first writing I had ever done, the first enforcer writing I'd ever done, was when I worked for uh, for Bruce Bennett, the hockey photographers there. One of the places, I mean, Bruce supplied photos to every, every hockey picture back in the day. It seemed like it came from Bruce's studio. And uh, there was a magazine called Pro Hockey, that was uh, actually published in Norway uh, and printed in Norwegian, Finnish, and Swedish. And in every issue, they did a feature on a different fighter because one of the main guys in the magazine, a guy I'm still in contact with, a friend of mine, Steiner, uh, he was a big Rangers fan and he was a big fight fan. So um, they would do this feature in every issue. And um, one day I said to him, I said, look, I'm, I'm here I go to all the games anyway. Um, if you want, I'd be more than happy. I know some of the guys. I'd be more than happy to do the interviews in person because uh, I think what he would originally do is just fax questions over to the teams. And I know sometimes you know things get lost in the shuffle that way. I, people are listening and they don't even know what a fax is. But things would get lost in the shuffle. So I said, look, I'm there anyway. I'll, I'll do the interview. I don't mind. I'll transcribe it. I'll write it. I'll fax it over to you. And that was actually the first, the first enforcer writing that, that I did. So I loved doing that. Then it went to the Tough Guy magazine. And then what happened was, uh, while I was I was in the press box for a game, and I was sitting next to two of Stan Fischler's interns, and I overheard them talking about a, a bad boys, another bad boys book. And um, so I'm not shy, and I um, I just introduced myself and I said, "Look, I've done a little." Uh, you know, enforcer writing and everything like that. I have some relationship with some of these guys. I'm pretty much into the whole scene. Uh, I'd be more than willing to help in any way that I can. And uh, I think it was the second book. A gentleman by the name of Eric Servitar um, did a lot of categories and ranked the guys in categories. And they said that Stan wanted to do it where it wasn't just one person doing that. And it ended up me. It ended up being me, um, 
David Singer, the guy who does uh, hockeyfights.com, I believe, and someone else who I can't remember, and I, I feel bad that I can't remember. And basically, we all did the same thing where we uh, ranked guys in different categories, uh, you know, like stamina, punching power, overall ability, and anything else you could think of. And we did like top tens for all that stuff. So, um, so that's how I got involved in that, just by kind of saying, hey, I'll be more than happy to help. And um, that back then, I didn't even have a computer. So I basically hand wrote everything and uh and either handed it handed it to her or or uh, faxed it to her and then they had to type everything up but um I never met Stan. I don't know him. Um I think he would at that time and I don't know, I mean listen, he's seems like he's been old forever. Uh I think yeah. he would do some parts of those books, but I think a lot of the a lot of that stuff he left up to his interns to do uh, a lot of the legwork. And then I'm sure everything had to be run by him before it went to print. But um, my main contact there was uh, one of his interns. And geez, I can't remember her name either. Old man memory is betraying me here. But but it was fun. I mean, I enjoyed doing it. I didn't look at it as work. I didn't get paid for it. I don't even know if they offered me to, offered me money. Uh, I didn't care. It was something I, you know, I was very passionate about. And, um, uh, I just said, I'll throw my hat in the ring. If you like it, then use it. If not, and they used everything I wrote. So I was pretty pumped about that. Well, yeah. Oh, those are great books. Oh, I've read, I've read, a, I've read them 10 times over those books. And then of course, like you, you, you mentioned here with the tough guy magazines. And I can remember, uh, once a year, ho- it was hockey stars, I think was the main magazine. Yeah. And then once yep. a year, they would come out with this an ep, uh, uh, magazine, Tough Guys. Of course, it was dedicated to the enforcers. Well, of course, they had like color fight pictures, which was unheard of, mm-hmm. you know, back then. And uh, and then, of course, your your rankings and some write ups and whatever. And oh, those were like the greatest <sighs> magazines. Me, my friends, and I just thought those were just the cat's ass when those things came out. <laughs> yeah, I wish I still had them. I think we cut them all up, put pictures on our lockers, <laughs> and all over the place. I wish I had mine still intact. But uh, those well, were I might. Great. Those were great. I, if I'll look for them, if I have some, I'll send them to you. No, and basically, um, how I got started with that again, um, hockey stars would get their pictures from Bruce Bennett Studios, and they had a few issues that had come out. Um, probably before I even started working for Bruce and I was a fan, you know, they come out with the fighter issue. So I'm going to get that. And there was one year where I think they did like a tough and talented issue where they focused more on like the power forward types and not so much the enforcers, which was fine. But well, like you say, you're waiting all year for this uh, issue about the enforcers and they hit you with that. Um, and then I think, I think the guy's name was Stu Sachs was, uh, was the publisher of it. And, um, probably what they did was they sent in the order for pictures and I said similar to how I ended up writing for pro hockey and how I ended up doing the, my part in the official book was, Hey, I kind of like this stuff. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, no, no disrespect to who's done it before, but I think maybe I could contribute here and, uh, you know, maybe a different perspective. And, um, you know, I'm watching the tapes anyway, and I've seen a lot of these games live. I don't mind taking notes and then, uh, you know, either transcribing them or whatever. And uh, the funny thing was the guy who was doing it before me is a guy named Dave Rosenbaum, who really was more of a hockey fan than a fight fan. So he was probably happy that he didn't have to do all that stuff. But um, he's a nice guy. And, um, and basically what I would do is just, 
you know, get the season compilation and uh, watch every single fight and make notes. I mean, you kind of know who's going to, you know, you can, uh, you can kind of know if you're doing a top 25, who you need to take notes on. I probably would end up taking notes on, um, you know, maybe 35 to 40 guys. And then you'd have to whittle it down to 25. And, um, and then basically what would happen is um, I'd get on the phone with Dave and, and he would, uh, I would basically read him my notes and he would jot them down. And uh, it, it's funny because a lot of things don't bother me. There's still something to this day that still irks me. And, and it's funny when I tell you the fight because it was Darren McCarty, I think his rookie year in the preseason, he fought Cam Russell. And it was basically like, I think it was his rookie year. And I think it might've been preseason. I don't remember, but it was like two fights in one where they fought. It was kind of over, but they never broke them up and they ended up fighting again. And McCarty did well both times. And the way he wrote it, it made it seem like I said that Cam Russell did well both times and that McCarty lost. And now I don't see what goes to print until everyone sees it. And when I read it, I'm like, Oh, that's not what I said at all. And it's just some little, blurb a little sentence in a magazine that has a cult following but because i know people that are reading it are passionate like me that irked me then and and obviously if i'm bringing it now it still irks me to this day but um but basically yeah it would come down and then you know what i tried to do something a little different one year where the i know where you're going with i know where you're going i'm gonna get to it yeah yeah the 25th guy Mm mm-hmm you don't need to know who the 25th ranked guy is. Okay. Because he's the 25th ranked guy. So one year I made it Scott Parker yep. who was just terrorized with the Western league and was yes, probably tough. He could have stepped into the NHL and done the job right then and there. Yep. And I got so much shit for that. And I go, well, who, who out there, it's not like I made Parker top five. I didn't make him number one. I, I I said, let me have a little fun with this. Let me put this guy in there and make him number twenty five just to just to make it a little different. And people thought like it was, they were outraged, you know. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know. And I always tried to do something different. And I I, I don't know if I reached to do it. I think one year I wanted I made it Jeff Rogers because I think it was the year he was in Boston. And that team was just brutal, and they were tanking it left and right. And you watched that. You watched that team, and the only guy who gave a shit night in and night out was Jeff Rogers. And he fought everybody he had to fight. And you know Jeff Rogers; he's game. He didn't win them all. You know, maybe he's a five hundred percent fighter, let's say. But the guy played his ass off, and he's just yep. tough as nails. And I'm like, this guy needs to be recognized, even if it's by some schlub like me in a magazine saying that, you know, he may not be the 25th best fighter in hockey, but my God, the job he did last year was, I mean, he was one of the few bright spots on a really shitty team. So I wanted to acknowledge him there. And then I think one year I did it, Kyle Friedrich and Gordy Dwyer, when like I split it when they were both with Tampa, just, just to kind of mix it up a bit. And some people got really bad out of shape and I would be like, why dude, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to acknowledge these guys doing a job, but I'd always get shit. I'd, I'd, uh, oh, I was going to say, on those, always, on those message boards, yeah. you got torn apart <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, you know, twist, uh, you put twist number one, uh, you got Bomber too high, you got Vakoda too And I always, and it's funny because I always made an effort with it, 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 when I put Vakoda in there. Vakoda is not 
was never top five. And I love Nick Lakota, and I'm sure Nick Lakota would tell you he's never top five. I always made sure I put him in, in a range that I thought was where he belonged. And people, even if he was 20, people would be like, all right, you got him ranked too high. I'm like, he's fucking 20. Like, I mean, really, you know, but, uh, you know, I think part of that is where I just, where I am today, where I'm just like, I don't really care. Like people would torch me and, and that's fine. And I think at first I would try to reason with people, but then it just, after a while, it was just like, okay, you don't like it. That's fine. You know? And, uh, and I think I said, I'm like, look, if you think you can do it better, just call them, tell them that I suck and you can do it better and do it. You know what I'm saying? Well, I know, I, I know I, the year you had Parker in, I was so pumped because of course I watched him in junior. Right. And I yeah. love Scott Parker. And then it was yeah. in Hershey. He was tearing shit up. And then you put yeah. him in there, and I was just pumped, right? Oh, but yeah, the <laughs> message board. I got, so, got Parker so much hate on the message boards. And it was just like, I ever understood why anybody would hate him. And then, because there was that little feature in the magazine as well about him. Yeah. And he said something yeah. about, well, yeah, I want to be the number one guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Of course, people yeah. to this day still bring it up, like, oh, what a prick. And I was like, well, what's he supposed to say? Like, wait. You know, like. Yeah, I. You know, it's. Uh... You know what it is? And like I said, I think I learned a lot of lessons from that because it would be like the magazine would come out and it, and listen, it wasn't a lot of people and it was a lot of the same people. And I don't know if it was something personal with me. Uh, and I'm not saying that people were jealous because it's not like I think I made a couple hundred bucks doing that. It wasn't like I was getting rich off it. But I think, you know, hey, just like I said to them, look, I think I could contribute and you know, no disrespect to the person is doing it, but maybe do a better job. Listen, we, we all are invested in this hobby. We all love it. So I'm sure that many, many people thought they could do a better job than I did. And maybe they could, I mean, mm-hmm. who am I to say? Um, but I think after a while, I'm just like, I can't keep answering this. Like, I think there was a guy in Buffalo that would give me shit because they didn't rank Rob Ray high enough, you know? And, like, uh, like, what do you want me to do? Like, if, if the magazine was out towards the end of his career, he would have been up there big time. You know, like I said, I think the guy was a fucking machine towards the end, you know, once the jersey had to stay on. I think he was yeah. much better with the jersey on than jersey off. But, hey, you know, look, the, the reality is I tried to be as impartial as possible. But, you know what, maybe if it was between a guy that that I didn't like and a guy that I did like, yeah, maybe if it was... You know, Rob Ray and, I don't know, fuck, uh, fuck Todd Ewan. I don't know. Maybe I just put Todd Ewan ahead of him because I like Todd Ewan better than Rob Ray, and I don't really respect the guy for taking off his jersey. I don't know. You know, I already said I'm not really a big Ty Domi fan. Ty Domi always had a good ranking in that magazine. So, like I, like I said, you can't make everyone happy oh. at a certain point. I, I just didn't give a fuck anymore. I no, and, th- and that was the thing. You can't. Like, I yeah. even noticed even when I had my little Twitter tournaments here. Holy shit, like you would, Mm -hmm. like the first thing I do is I put out the bracket. Oh, well then I get a hundred tweets (laughs) like, oh, why isn't this guy in it? Why isn't that guy in it? And oh, you think Mm -hmm. these are the best guys? I said, where did I say they were the best guys? (laughs) That was just the names I came up with. I said, I told everybody, this is what I'm doing. If you have any suggestions, send me a direct message. Mm -hmm. I'll put them in. I don't really care. I just want people to talk about these guys. And that's the thing with these tournaments. I never give a shit who wins. 
I don't yeah. care who wins these things. I just want people to talk about these guys, right? It doesn't exactly. matter to me, but, exactly. oh, some of these people just get so worked up over it. And it's like, okay, yeah. not so much the latter ones, but that first Bob Probert tournament that I put on, it mm. was like, it was like, well, because no one had done it on Twitter yet. It was all new thing. Yeah. And uh, mm. my follower count blew up after that tournament. Like, it was huge. Like, I was getting yeah. 100,000 impressions on my site and, or on my Twitter page and stuff a day when that tournament was going on. But people right. were losing their shit. Because I tried, like, in the first one, I put Engelstad and Rocky and Bruce Ramsey in there. Because I, I didn't, it was just me and Taylor, this guy, a follower named Taylor. I was just sitting here drunk one night on Twitter on Friday, late Friday night. And I threw the thing at him. Oh, I should do, like, a March Madness tournament with all the fighters. That'd be funny. Ha, ha, ha. Oh yeah, dude, you gotta do it. So okay, so I just came up with sixty-four guys that I liked and threw them on there and whatever. I mean, there was no rhyme or reason to what I was doing, but holy shit, did people get upset about it? And I was like, I think you're completely missing the point of all this, folks. Oh, I mean, like especially with what you're doing. So if you don't like your poll, then fucking do your own. Yeah. I mean, it's real simple to do it if you don't like it. Do it. And, and, you know, like I said, going back to me with the criticism I took, I, I appreciated some of it because I kind of feel like guys like us, we're, like, we're a brotherhood because even though, like, um, I love Nick Fakona and a lot of people don't like him and a lot of people love Rob Ray and I don't like Rob Ray, but we're all, we're kind of like in the same brotherhood where we're, we're like, I don't like Rob Ray, but if somebody who doesn't like fighting attacks him, I'm going to defend him, you know? And I think if someone doesn't like Nick Fakota, but somebody who doesn't, who doesn't like fighting would attack him, I think people would defend him. So I kind of looked at it as like a brotherhood. So it was cool in a sense that I was being torched and torn apart by people who, who know what they were talking about and appreciated the role. Uh, so I did appreciate that. But uh, like I said, after a while, I was just like, ah, fuck, this is just getting ridiculous now. So, uh, but it was like, I, said, I, I like, I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, I've had, you know, I've, I've met some really good people through hockey and everything. And, and uh, I've, like I said, I've, I've done the, you know, the features in the European magazine. I've done, I don't know, four or five of the tough guys issues. Uh, I've been an official book as far as that goes. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh Old Sport Magazine did a thing. Uh, Stu Hackle wrote an article, and uh, he interviewed me about uh, the old Capital teams and the Buffalo teams, like the May Ray, uh, Boogner, Barnaby teams, and then the Capital teams we were talking about earlier. So, um, you know, this is all stuff that I have, and you know, my, that if my kids were ever interested, in, I can go look. You know, your old man, you know, he uh, there's something here, you know, and uh, not that it amounts to hell of beans in terms of uh, legacy, but you know, they're my kids and they love me and it's just something that when I'm gone, if they were interested, yeah, look, the old man did something. So, uh, so hey, man, that is something I appreciate. Well, Hey man, I can tell you from a fan, from a distance, it was, uh, your shit was appreciated out here. I can tell you that. <laughs> and I know just talking to people on Twitter here as I've gone on and I put, I can't remember. I put a picture of the bad boys books or I put that and your name came up and all that. And, uh, all, all of the, all of us old fight farts there on the, on the old message boards and stuff. I mean, we always appreciated what you did, and uh, yeah, you might have got shit over it a few times from a few, from a few folks. But uh, hey, man, it was uh, like for us, for us uh, hockey fight nerds, that's uh, that, that those stuff, that stuff's gold back in the day. Yeah, 
Well, I appreciate that. It was fun doing them, and uh, unfortunately, there's uh, not much of that anymore. But I, I, it's always nice to hear that someone, you know, reads what you wrote and enjoyed it, or even didn't enjoy it. You could hate it, but the fact that you took the time to read it, man, that's humbling. You know, it's it's just I took the time to do something, put pen to paper, and write something. And even if you think it's utter and complete dog shit, the fact that you took the time to read it, man, that that's like I said, I, I, I'm a nobody, so. If you read something I wrote, man, that, that's really, really humbling. And I'm so appreciative to anyone who ever got any enjoyment out of anything I ever wrote about Enforcers. That's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, and that, and that was the same thing. Yeah, and I, just to echo what you just said, you know, I, I get that, you know, uh, sometimes just I've had a, a few people just send me message, direct messages on Twitter saying, you know, they listened to a podcast that I did or I was a guest on a podcast and, and they really liked it and appreciated it. Or, hey, I've, I've went back and now I've listened to your other stuff and now I follow you on Twitter or, you know, or whatever. And it was just, it, it's just really cool to get that feedback. And it's like, yeah. um, because sometimes you just think, oh, I'm going to turn this microphone and talk, and I, you know, no one's going to listen to it, right? So yeah. when you and 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 it's scary sometimes to you know to put yourself out there, right? Because especially now with this with the with the internet, it's like like right now when after I play when I post this interview, like people from around the world can now judge you and I, right? Listening to this, and it, every once in a while, it, it's kind of a scary thought to kind of wrap your head around that like someone out in like Bora Bora can actually listen to this, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of strange, but it, it but really yeah. cool at the same time. Definitely. hundred percent agree with you on that. Yeah. So when you get someone, you know, that you have no link to or anything and just out of the blue, they say, Hey dude, I heard you on this show or I listened to your Josh Mazer interview and it was fucking awesome. And I mean, and, and, and that was really cool. And then, and then especially when you start getting it from the ex players, you know, and yeah. uh, to hear their and and to have them tell you that they appreciate sticking up for the role, or you know, putting a spotlight on the role, and giving guys like Josh Mazer and Chris Waltz and Dakota Rogers and stuff, and Luke Karate um, airtime or whatever you want to call it, or a, a form to speak. It's uh, you know that that that's all the better when it's uh, I appreciate it from everybody, but when it's the ex players, it uh, it really means something because. The guys, like I said before, it's the guys that do this role. They're character guys. They live their life with honor because guys, you're not just going to put your life on the line for your brothers on your team uh, for nothing. You know, you live your life a certain way to do that, and that's not for everybody. And it means something to these guys when they're acknowledged because to root for the scorers or, you know, the, the goalies or whatever, that's easy. Like anyone can root for Sidney Crosby, but to actually take the time to go into research someone's career. And I don't even mean now where you can get numbers or photos or anything at the touch of your fingers. Like back in the day when you had to actually do research. Yep. And when you tell these guys how much you appreciate their career and you appreciate the job they did, well, it means something because that's the type of people that they are because it's the way they were raised. And, you know, like I, I try to tell people this. Yeah, you know what? These guys that did the job at a high level, they weren't fighters when they were five years old, when they were going to the rink at 3.30, 4.30, 5.30, whatever it is in the morning. Nobody when they were a kid said, I'm going to be a fighter. And these guys now, 
well, the guys that we were talking about, at one point, they were the best players on their team. And then yeah. as you keep going up and you keep going into the bigger pond and the bigger pond and the bigger pond, now all of a sudden, you went from being the top player on your team where now maybe you're the 10th best player on your team and you're the 15th best player on your team. And now you have a decision to make. Do I want to, you know, can I maybe go to junior? Can I maybe go to college and play hockey? Well, if I do, I might have to change my game. I might have to make a conscious decision to maybe fight a little bit. Or do I want to just go to college and become a business major? Do I not? Do I not? Or if it's in Canada, do I not want to go play junior because I don't want to fight? So basically you have guys that at some point in their career have had, who have been the best players on a team, no matter what level it was, no matter what age, having to make a conscious decision to sacrifice their well-being. And, and it's not just the physical well-being, it's the psychological well-being, it's the mental well-being, for the good of others, okay? And that's not, you know, people think that these guys are just made in machines. These are human beings that make this decision. And the fact that some people don't want to realize that is just really, really ignorant. Because if you look at these guys' numbers when they were kids, they're putting up Wayne Gretzky-type numbers. And because as their skills didn't progress as much as other ones, but they had the drive and the desire to want to play pro and do whatever it takes to get there, even if that means risking their lives, fighting. And if you think about how many guys make the NHL, for every guy that made the NHL, there's 10 guys riding buses in the minors for a few hundred bucks a week that are doing it just because they love it. So these people that are critical of these guys can really just kiss my ass because you don't know. You think you know, but you don't. And that's why these guys are so appreciative because they made a sacrifice somewhere along the line in their career and you're acknowledging it and I'm acknowledging it. And a lot of people don't see it. And we do. And that's why they're so grateful. Absolutely. 100%. Hey, Joe, can you hold on for just one sec? Yeah. Just one second here. Um, okay, we'll back at her. Um, well, one thing I wanted to ask you before we move on, was there ever, uh, like, in your time when you went to, like, interview a guy or whatever, was there anybody that just, like, just didn't want to talk about it? Um, probably the only guy who was very cordial and, and because I had known him for a bit when he got here, one guy who never really was big on talking about it was Ken Baumgartner, believe it or not. Um, I think, and, and if you go back and watch his interviews, um, especially with the Islanders, cause those are the ones that I, I remember the most. Anytime like Fischler or someone would bring up fighting, he kind of would, maybe try to change the subject. I think it was important for him that people understood that he could do more than that. Now, I didn't watch every game he played with LA. I didn't watch every game he played with Toronto or Anaheim or Boston. Uh, what I can tell you is with the Islanders, he did contribute more than just as a fighter. Um, and the year that, uh, that he got here and they were a pretty sad team. And when him and McDonough came along, they made up a lot of ground. They made the playoffs. And that was the year, you know, obviously they played the Rangers. Um, he did contribute as a player. Um, very, very solid defenseman that year. Uh, I think the issue is you're known for something. And uh, I think 
most people that know Ken Baumgartner known as a guy who fights. And I don't, uh, you know, he's done so much more than that. You know, going, uh, he would go to take classes here at Hofstra. Uh, he's doing something in the financial world right now. And um, even a few years ago, I had a website um, and I did interviews with different guys that uh, had some affiliation with the Islanders, uh, whether they played for them or they were, you know, co- whatever, as long as they had a connection to the Islanders one way or the other, even if they were in a training camp with them, if I interviewed them. And I tracked him down and, um, again, very polite. And he just said, that's really not um, a part of my career that I'm interested in talking about. And I respect that. You know, I mean, look, I I don't know what goes through a guy's mind. Um, you know, it was unfortunate because, uh, you know, he definitely was one of the best at it during his time. Uh, he wasn't a dick about it at all. Uh, but I would have loved to really, uh, really pick his brain about it. But he was just one guy that was never into it. Um, I wish they could all be Jim Cummins, man. I mean, you want to sit down and talk to a guy about fighting, man, probably Jimmy is one of the better guys to talk to because he's realistic about what he did and and he's free and open and talks about it. Uh, not everyone is like him. You know, Kevin Kaminsky is another one. He'll talk about it. And, um, you know, for me personally, uh, my best friend in the whole world outside of my wife and my family here is Dean Ewan. And we've had a, a lot of talks about it. So uh, about the role that he played and everything. And uh, I know a lot of stuff that, um, you know, that not anything necessarily personal, but it's just stuff that maybe the average person wouldn't be interested in because whatever he maybe is just another player to them. So uh, I think because, you know, when you're in the same boat, you, you know, these guys should talk to these guys. I think we kind of get spoiled when some of these guys are really open about the role. Um, and they don't mind talking about it. And then you get the odd guy here or there that really doesn't want to talk about it. And Bomber was that way. And uh, I really don't, and I didn't take it personal because I don't really see a lot out there about him where he really does discuss it. So it just was a case where um, he didn't really want to discuss it and I left it alone. But I, but I don't really think there's too many guys that, that don't want to talk about it. Uh, he definitely jumps out and he might be the only one. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, the bar. yeah, smart dude. Uh, but yeah. yeah, moving forward. Well, now uh, we go from the magazines to uh, the hockey cards, and I'm not yeah. talking uh, hashtag drunk hockey carding. I am talking <laughs> about uh, your time uh, working for uh, uh, Fleer, the company Fleer, and uh, I know you had a hand in the uh, in the oh, the 2002 set, the Fleer throwbacks. That was yeah. uh, pretty well. Not all enforcers, but I mean, it was pretty well an enforcer uh, based uh, set, which was great. And it had uh, cards for, uh, well, the first cards, which was surprising to me as I looked it up even today that, uh, you know, for uh, Cochran, Risling, Jack Carlson, and uh, Serge Roberge, that was their first cards. And uh, you kind of had a hand in that. How did that all happen? What what happened was when I worked for Fleer, uh, we did not have a license to do hockey cards. We had um, Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, uh, believe it or not, WNBA. Uh, we had a license to do WWE. Uh, we had a license to do uh, American Idol. We had a license to do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We did not have an NHL license. But what we were allowed to do were 
cards with retired players because then I think all you had to do was work out a deal with the individual player. You didn't have to pay royalty or fee the league. However it worked, that that wasn't my job there. But I think as long as you could work something out with the player, they would get their their money, whatever. I think it was okay. I don't I don't know exactly how that worked. Um, but when I was there, we uh, there were three of us in the photo editing department, and I was the biggest hockey fan. And uh, so the three sets we did do. Uh, I was the one who picked the photos for, and the um, throwback set was the third one, the final one that obviously was the most fun for me. That uh, that set underwent a lot of changes. First, it was going to be called um, Captains and Characters. That's why some of the guys in there, maybe they're not like uh, enforcers. Maybe they were kind of physical guys, but they were captains. So if those, if you see any of those guys in there, that's the reason why they're in there. It was originally it was called Captains and Characters. That got uh, uh, the kibosh put on it by somebody. I don't know. Um, but what happened was uh, the guy who made the checklist, uh, one of my ex-coworkers, guy Mike, he's a big hockey fan too. He's actually, I think he, uh, he's a big Red Wings fan from Detroit. And he put together this roster of cards and everything. And I just said to him, like, what what is the rule to put a guy in the set? And the only rule was he had to play at least one NHL game. So I tried my hardest to get Dean Ewan in the set, but never, uh, unfortunately, never played an NHL game, so I couldn't get him in the set. But going along that parameter, um, I didn't even think like, you know, like the guys that you had mentioned, like Cochran and Risling and those guys, I didn't even think about what cards they have. We He basically had a list of guys, and then we just went team by team. And I'm like, well, why don't we put this guy in there? Why don't we put this guy in there? Why don't we put this guy in there? Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I, maybe with Serge, I thought that because I didn't think he had any cards, maybe minor league cards. But knowing that he played a few games for Quebec, I'm, and I love the guy. So I'm like, well, why don't we try to get him in there? And the, Mike was really good. Like, he's like, yeah, let's get some uh, characters in the set. Um I think we were allowed to do two current players. That was the max. So we, of course, we did Probert. That was a no-brainer. And then we uh, did Dolny. I wanted to do Cairns. Uh, truth be told, that was who I wanted to put in. Uh, we did Dolny because I think there was a big show uh, after the cards were released. There was going to be a big show that uh, people from the company were going to be at in Toronto. So. Uh, that's how, and I mean, Domi's still Domi. He's a, he's a big name, but I think the fact that there was going to be this giant uh, show in Toronto had uh, also helped get Domi in there because Mike was cool. He probably would have let me uh, slide Cairns in there too, but uh, those were the two current players we used at the time. So uh, and it was cool because it didn't matter. You didn't have to use Probert as a Blackhawk, so we used him as a Red Wing. Um, and then it was just um, a matter of finding photos. Some of these guys had a lot of photos. You know, some of these guys didn't have a lot of photos. And then the cool part was we tried to pick um, tried to pick the team maybe they were most known for, but, you know, maybe Bomber is more known for Toronto, but I wanted him as an Islander, so he's not an Islander. Um, another thing for me that I wanted to get, you know, most people know Vakoda wearing number 12, but when he first started out with the Islanders, he was 38, so I wanted to get a picture of him wearing 38. Um, you know, I would have put all the guys on the Islanders in Islander uniforms, but, you know, a guy like David Maley, you know, he played a little bit for the Islanders. He's more known for the devil, so he's not the devil. Um, but it was a lot of fun. You know, it was just, um, 
you know, again, it's just this uh, respect I have for these guys and the fact that we were putting them in cardboard. And, um, uh, you know, again, like I, I mentioned for me with the writing that I've done, that my kids left something that they can look at and say, Oh, it's my dad, you know, and maybe have some pride in that. You know, maybe some of these guys who didn't get cards, I mean, you got like Gary Risling who was long retired when this set came out. Uh, maybe he likes something like that. And maybe it's like, Oh, look, I, I've been retired 15 years or whatever it was at that point. I'm finally on a hockey card. So um, it was cool. I, I mean, it was out of the three sets, obviously that was the one I had the most fun with. And uh, I love it. I mean, to this day, I got a bunch of cloth in my garage and boxes and I'll come across some cards or whatever from that set. And uh, I love it. I mean, it's something that I take a lot of pride in, even though uh, I don't know what the uh, value is on those cards, but I really don't care. It was uh, it's my favorite set that I ever did. Oh yeah, no, it was, uh, like I said, for a, for an old hockey card guy and, uh, you know, and I, not that I collect a lot of cards anymore, but I always like to kind of collect, I always try to still collect the enforcers and the tough guys. And, um, yeah, you know, though that set was the, was the cat's ass, man. It was like, <laughs> and it was always just like, uh, yeah, well, it was just like some, it was just like, yeah, yeah, they get it right. They're finally putting, <laughs> putting our guys in there. Right. So it was, uh, yeah, yeah no, I always appreciated that set, but, uh, well, uh, Joe, we're kind of kind of wrapping things up, but of course, I cannot uh, I, I cannot just let you go uh, without bringing this up. And this is uh, uh, you know you keep, you've mentioned a few times what your what your kids can be proud of. Well, they can definitely be proud of this. Um, and this is this is a hell of a story. I'm not trying to yeah here try don't just try to tell you to wrap it up in two minutes or anything, but. Uh, yeah, February twelfth, two thousand eleven. For those who don't know, I'll I'll let you you tell the story. But uh, the floor is yours, man. Have at it. Uh, just kind of give us the give the listeners uh, what happened on that faithful day. Yeah, well, based on who's probably listening to this, I generally start with what I'm about to start with, and a lot of people don't remember it. But people that are listening to this will probably remember it. Uh, the incident that I'm about to tell you happened on, uh, February 12th, 2011 on February 11th, 2011. This was the game where uh, the Islanders played the Penguins, and it was the revenge game game that they had all the fights. Yep. Uh, they lit up the Penguins on what they scored nine goals, maybe, and just tore them a new asshole. I mean, it was one of the most fun games I'd watched in a long time. And as you might imagine, when the game was over, I can't go to sleep. I'm like pumped. My adrenaline's going. I am just fired up. And at the time, I'm living in Philadelphia, so I'm watching the game on the, on the satellite. And then after that, I'm watching on like ESPN and all this other stuff, trying to see clips and interviews. So I'm probably up till about 2 a.m. And I have to get up around 6 or 6.30 to go to work the next day. And uh, so it was a Friday. I get up Saturday, just a regular day, uh, go to work. Um, now, one thing to keep in mind, my shift originally was uh, supposed to start around 12.15. One of my coworkers asked me if I could switch with her. So instead of starting at 12.15 that morning, I started at 9.30. And um, I just go to work. 
I'm on my way to work, so I would live in Philadelphia. I would drive from Philly to New Jersey, jump on the train, take the train from New Jersey to Penn Station, then jump on a subway, five minutes on, at my job. Well, this day, uh, I get to Penn Station, and I get on the subway, and we're not moving. And the doors are open, and nothing's really happening. So it's a typical Saturday in New York, I guess. And after a few moments, two police officers get on the train, and uh, they go right where the engineer is. And normally when you see cops get on the train here, they just stay in the main part with you guys, with everybody, the public. I've never seen them go to the engineer. So it's a little weird, but again, so be it. Finally, they close the door, and the train starts moving. But now we're moving very slowly. Very weird, but again, I don't put anything past New York. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this guy comes up. And I'm basically sitting right behind the engineer. The only thing separating the engineer and I is a wall. So there's the engineer, a wall, me, and right in front of me, to my right, is the door to get into the engineer's booth. And this guy comes up, starts banging on the door, and he says, uh, let me in. Now, he doesn't know that the cops are on the other side. The cop says, it's a male cop and a female cop. Male cop says, who are you? He says, I'm the police. And the cop on the other side says, you're not the police. Doesn't come out, but uh, the guy just walks away. So again, this happens right in front of me. I'm like, all right, that was weird. There's a guy standing next to me. Now, all of a sudden, when the first guy walked away, the guy standing next to me runs to the door. Now, he's banging on the door. But when the first guy was somewhat aggressive, this guy looks like he's scared to death. And... He's tapping on the window, waving the cops out, tapping on the window, waving the cops out. Nothing's going on. And the whole time he's looking over his shoulder for the first guy. Now I'm thinking, okay, something's up. So he looks over. The first guy starts to come back. He makes a beeline right back next to me. The first guy's walking back up to the door. He stops about two feet from me, about three feet from the door, reaches into his jacket, takes out an eight-inch chef's knife, and looks me down, looks down at me, looks me in the eye and says, you're going to die, you're going to die, takes a knife and just plunges it right into my face. So I'm like, okay. And I'm calm talking about it now, but it was just bedlam when it happened. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, he gets me under my left eye, and uh, now I'm, I have a decision to make. And I, it wasn't like I said, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. So I just charged at the guy, and I was going for his legs. I was trying to do um, a single leg takedown, trying to take the guy down. But when I went in, I went in too high, and uh, I ended up tackling him around the waist, which got the job done. I did get him down, but while I was taking him down, he had free reign at my head, and he was just just stabbing me in the head. Um, He stabbed me three times in the head. So I was able to take him down, but he was so hopped up on, I don't know what drugs I can't even remember, to be honest, that it, he didn't even flinch. Now, he might have been about 185, 190 pounds. At the time, I'm probably 270. He didn't even blink. Like, he's that wired. And he still got the knife in his hand. So now while I'm on top of him, he's on his back, and he's, basically flailing the knife up at me and I'm trying to catch his wrist. So he flails it up the first time I miss. 
and he slices me in the thumb, like the web part of your thumb there, where it meets your hand. Does it again, I miss again. He slices me in the tricep. Finally, the third time he uh, does it, I'm able to catch his wrist. I slam his wrist down, knife comes out. Now I'm on top of him and I'm basically bleeding all over him. I'm, I'm bleeding to death. And then, then the cops came out from where they were and tapped me on the shoulder and say, oh, you can get up now, we got him. And at the time, I'm like in this daze because I had a guy just try to kill me and I'm losing all this blood. And I go, okay, like I just get up, you know, and I'm thinking, all right, the cops are here, whatever. So it didn't even really dawn on me like, well, where were you? You know, this whole thing just happened in front of you. Where were you? Um, didn't dawn on me at the time. So I'm sitting on the subway seat. And my life's pouring out of me. Cops are trying to handcuff him. They can't handcuff him. The male cop is bigger than me. Couldn't do it. Female cop was useless. Didn't do anything. Finally, a man, a passenger comes over and helps him handcuff him. And, uh, I tell this part just because it's part of the story. I feel kind of goofy when I say it, but right now, because I'm in my right frame of mind, but at the time I was not. And, uh, just, I think what happened was I just surveyed the situation and I literally thought I was going to die. And I was just so mad. And I just, uh, looked at him and said, you better hope I fucking die because if I don't, I'm going to come back and kill you. And it was like, you could hear a pin drop in the train. But what that did was my Clint Eastwood moment basically zapped me of any, any energy I had left, you know? So, uh, I'm basically just sitting there. The train is stopped. Now we stopped moving. We're in the tunnel and I'm sitting there with my life pouring out of me. There's pictures. And I told about getting images. If you go and get images, there's pictures. Um, and I'm sitting there basically screaming. Can, you got to get me to a hospital. I'm going to die. You got to get me to a hospital. And the cops are saying, well, we can't, the train, they turn the power off on the tracks because there's cops in the tracks. They don't want to, they don't, you know, it's dangerous to turn the tracks back on, but we're going to get it on. Don't worry. And then we'll get you to the hospital. Okay. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there. The guy who helped, the police handcuff the guy comes over started yelling at everyone that was left in the train and nobody went to help me and he's like you guys are just going to watch this guy die no one helps him and to me he was the hero because he basically doesn't know me from adam took his bare hand put it on my biggest wound on the back of my head tried to help stem the bleeding and then someone came over with tissues and he used that and he basically stayed with me the whole time i was there trying to calm me down because i kept saying you got to get me out. I got to get out of here. I got a wife. I got two kids. I don't want to die here. I don't want to die in the train. And he's like, you know, just calm down and calm down. You know, his name's Alfred Douglas. A really, really good guy. And still we're sitting there. And <laughs> I grab a cop by the wrist. I'm like, what, what's going on? I'm like, you know, do you have a wife? I, I don't remember if it was uh, a man or a woman, to be honest. I think I said, are you married? And he said, yeah. I'm like, I'm married too. I got to get off this train. Don't, don't worry, we're going to get you off, we're going to get you off. Okay, okay. A couple more minutes go by. Another cop. You have kids? Yeah, I have kids. So do I. I said, I can't die in this train. What are we still sitting here for? Don't worry, the paramedics are on their way. They're coming from the back of the train. 
So here I am looking at the back of the train, nobody. All of a sudden we start moving and I'm like, wait a second, what's going on? What about the paramedics? Oh, they're waiting for you at 42nd street. So they'll be there when we get there. And, uh, <laughs> okay. So fortunately 42nd street was like a minute away and we get there. They open the door, they take him off. Uh, paramedics come on. And, um, as they take me off the seat and put me on the stretcher, I pass out. And then I came right to, but that was the first time I felt any pain. The whole time I have all this adrenaline going, I'm not feeling anything. Now I feel it. And it basically feels like my head's on fire. Like someone doused with gasoline and lit my hair, my head on fire. I have a shaved head. So I'm like, okay, now they bring me up. They put me in the ambulance and I'm basically telling the paramedics, can't let me die. Talk to me. Keep me awake. Because I'm, oh, geez, I think I'm going to die. I lost so much, so much blood. And uh, thankfully, it was a Saturday morning, so there wasn't too much traffic. And um, paramedics are, you know, no, they know you're coming. We're going to get you there. Don't worry. We're going to get you there. It got there pretty quick. We get there. Uh, hook me up to a shit ton of morphine, thank God. Wheel me into this room where there's probably 20 people cutting off all my clothes, making sure I'm not stabbed anywhere else. And while this is all going on, another cop comes to the head of the bed and holds up a mugshot. And he says, uh, is this the guy who did this to you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, you're a hero. And I said, well, I'm not a hero. Why am I a hero? And he goes, well, he killed four people last night. And that's the part of the story where I get goosebumps because that – up until that point, I thought it was just some lunatic trying to kill me for no reason. And what I found out later was uh, this guy had um, gone to an argument with his stepfather, stabbed him about 55 times, was leaving Brooklyn, was going to leave the country, then decided to turn around. He went to the house of a girl that he was uh, basically enamored with, but she didn't have any interest in him. When her mom wouldn't tell her where she was, he killed the mom. Um, the girl, her name is Yelena, eventually comes home, finds the mom dead. This guy comes back, kills her, basically decapit almost decapitates her in front of her own house. So that's three murders uh, with a knife. He killed the fourth person by, uh, he had carjacked a few people. Uh, and this poor guy just happened to be crossing the street and got run over. So he went head over heels and the uh, impact either from the car or landing on the pavement killed him. So he ended up killing four people. He ended up attacking maybe three or four others. And uh, that day on the train, I was the last guy he attacked. So um, I am very fortunate to be here. Um, you know, I did what had to be done that day. You know, people call me hero, but you know, he didn't really leave me much choice. I, I, uh, had a lot to fight for and I didn't feel like dying. So I just, uh, you know, basically did what I had to do and, um, I'm lucky to be here. So, um, he is currently in jail. He's upstate New York. He got, uh, 50 years for each murder 
So that's 200. And then he got 25 years for attempted murder of me. So he's in jail for 225 years. So, uh, um, you know, he can rot in hell. I'm not one of those people that after uh, time has passed that says, you know, he might've had a tough upbringing and, uh, I really forgive him. And, uh, I hope that, you know, he makes something of himself in jail and then comes out and becomes a productive human being. That's not me. I am waiting for the day that he hangs himself and someone sends me a picture so that I can go and take a shit on his grave. Uh, and I hope that happens. I hope he's getting anally violated daily. Um, and unfortunately New York doesn't have the death penalty because I would be more than happy to, uh, you know, flip the switch. Although I think there are uh, more worthy people than I to do that. Uh, he affected a bunch of families. So, uh, man, you know, that's basically the story. And, if you if you go to my Twitter, uh, there was a doc. There are a couple of documentaries done about it. I never promote the one that's horseshit. They basically uh, pump up the cops in that one, and the cops really didn't do much of anything that day. Uh, but I there was a documentary done that the link is on my Twitter, and uh, it's really well done. And um, you know it's about forty five minutes, and I think it's a pretty good watch. And uh, also, uh, I wrote a book about it, self published book. And uh, the link for that is also on my Twitter. If you want to know every single detail about what happened, uh, that's there too. So, uh, you know, I get up every day and I'm grateful and uh, every day is a blessing. And, you know, I'm just uh, very lucky to be here. Yeah, man, that, that's uh, that's a hell of a story. That, uh, yeah, well, nothing more to be said. <laughs> nothing more to be here? said that's, that's been said. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, I appreciate you letting me tell that. I, You know, there might be some people that uh, aren't familiar with it, and I'm always trying to uh, get the story out there. So uh, even if there's uh, a million people listening to this and only one person had never heard it, then uh, I'm happy that uh, I got to enlighten someone. But, you know, like I said, I'm, uh, I try to spread the word. I think uh, I'm a pretty positive person. I have a lot to be thankful for. So, uh you know, if people are interested in it, you know, you can hit me up on uh, Twitter or whatever. But, uh, you know, I appreciate you letting me tell that story. Yeah, man. No, it was, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that that's, uh, yeah. Well, like I said, what a story. I mean, you can't, uh, <laughs> Jesus, you know, we've, uh, well, man, we've cut, co- we've covered it all. And I, uh, like I was telling you before we got recording, I appreciate you coming on. And, uh, like I said, this is going way back at the late nineties and we were trading, uh, Joe made the Las Vegas Thunder tape. I had to get it from him. Yeah, and it was, uh, uh, and, and you were, and I remember talking to you a lot on the on the message boards privately about the the magazine. Oh, everything we talked about on this, and and you were always cool as shit then. And uh, you know, and obviously a lot of stuff has happened between uh, then and now. And uh, like I said, man, I appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you having me. And like I told you before we started recording, you know, since, uh, everything happened to me, I've been fortunate enough where people have wanted to talk to me about that incident. Uh, the special thing about what we talked about is that that was only a small portion of it. And we got to chat about something that I'm very passionate about and that's uh, the enforcers. So, uh, it was a real nice change of pace. So I appreciate you, uh, allowing me to come on and, uh, bend your ear a little bit oh it was great yeah oh i was just looking at twitter look who uh joey the legend from uh mike mcwilliam 
<laughs> that's the Mac Daddy, man. Uh, you know, he's awesome. He's a good friend of mine. So. Yeah, well, I just uh, I I just got a hold of him on Twitter. We just started following each other. I think uh, there you know the old New Westminster Bruin. I mean, there's a cat that would have yeah. a few stories. I think he's um, you know I got uh, I met Mac through uh, Dean. Uh, Matt and Dean are, are very very good friends, and uh, through Dean we were able to hook up back when he played a few games for the Islanders. Uh, ironically, when he was with the Islanders. By the time I wasn't around, and by the time I got back to the island, he went back to Utah, I think. So we've been friendly, friends, you know, via phone or email or whatever. And then last year when uh, the Islanders brought back all the uh, alumni, uh, Mac was one of the guys that was back. So we actually got to hang out last year when, when he was here. And uh, so that was good to hang out with him. I mean, you know, these guys are just regular guys. So knowing him over the years like I do, it was like, uh, you know, just old friends, even though we never actually physically met before last year. But, you know, I call him the Mac Daddy, man. He's a dude. That guy is a monster. He's so big. He's so strong. He's like a lion, but he's got a heart of gold. You know, he's just a, like... You look at him and you're like, I never want to get on that guy's bad side. And then you talk to him for five minutes and you're like, this guy doesn't even have a bad side, you know. So, uh, no, I love Mac. He's awesome. He's a tough dude back in the day. Yeah, I think. Mac, you're listening to this. Well, I'm sure you are because I'm sure, you know, Joe's your boy, so you'd be listening. we got to get you on this show. i got to hear some old New Westminster stories. Yeah. I think the uh, – oh. and they had us run over there in the U.K. I know the folks over there still talk about him. So uh, he's got uh, he's got stories for days, and oh, yeah. you know it's sad. Like you mentioned the UK, and I'm sorry to keep running at the mouth here, but no. it's sad that these guys, these good North American boys, if they want to play their style now, they have to go over to UK, or you know a guy like Matt Nickerson, Stars draft pick, he can't play over here. He's got to play uh, this year in Finland, you yeah. know, because the European leagues are now tougher than the leagues over here. But, you know, the thing about Mac is Mac, I mean, they had tough guys over there before Mac. But I think he was the one that, I mean, he was in Cardiff. It kind of blew up. Like, he's a legend there. Like, he is. He is. He's a Cardiff legend. He's a Cardiff icon. And the battles he had, I think, like, Mike Ware was there and Paxton Schulte and, you know, Cruz was there for a bit. I mean, but when you talk to him, and I'm sure he'll do your show, he's very modest. But... Don't believe it. I mean, believe he's modest, but he was really one of the key guys that started the the exodus over there, like tough guys going over there and being popular. He's a freaking icon in Cardiff. So, yeah, no, it uh, no, it was cool. And like Matt Nickerson, there's another guy I've talked to Matt quite a bit on Twitter just privately, and oh man, that he got a freaking raw deal last year with that suspension and stuff. What a oh. bunch of bullshit that was. I yeah. felt I it's felt so bad for him. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a joke. It, it's just it's brutal that these guys even have to go over and play in these leagues, you know. But uh, you know, he's in a good spot now. His uh, his wife is Finnish actually, so he's playing here in uh, in Finland. Uh, so uh, he's happy to be there. She's happy because that's where she's from. So uh, I'm happy for him because he's a great kid and he deserves it. Yep. 
No, absolutely. He's always been uh, always been cool with me when I was talking to him. And uh, there's another guy. I mean, I don't know what the time difference in Finland is. Maybe we'll have to wait till the season's over to get him on. But, uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, all those guys. Yeah, and like you said, yeah, the fact they got to go over a pond to to play nowadays is, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, we beat that drum to death. It's uh, you yeah. know, it's a, a yeah. sad state of affairs these days, but. Uh, Hey, as long as they're playing somewhere and getting and getting some money to go to the rink, I'm I'm all for it. Exactly, exactly. You're right on because you know there's no room for them here because we got to have uh, a first line and then two, three fourth lines of guys who can't play physical. That makes sense. But anyway, like you say, we've been on that soapbox for two hours now. Yeah, well, like I said, the only, <laughs> it seems the only people that don't want them here are the are the guys that get into the games for free, and unfortunately, yeah. they they have the biggest <laughs> voice or. You know, I always call it the vocal minority on Twitter. They seem to run these yeah. leagues, unfortunately. Even Bissonette went ranting about it last year, about all the nerds yeah. on Twitter that, that run hockey, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, he's right. I mean, and he knows he knows better than any of us. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's good to have a voice like his, you know, on our side. Absolutely. But all right, man. Well, hey, uh, Joe, I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's uh, it's late out there, but, uh, hey, that was a great talk, and I uh, I appreciate you coming on. No, man, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, if you want to talk for eight more hours, just call me back. Oh, <laughs> we'll yeah, hey, we'll, we'll get a part two. And uh, like I said, <laughs> I'll, I'll get a hold of you on Twitter. I still got to get that Fort Worth Brahmas DVD from you. but uh... I got to find it. Yeah, I'll look, <laughs> I'll look for the tough guys. I got, I'll look for the tough guys magazines. I should have some extras around. I could send them out to you. Oh, that's all good. All right, Joe, yeah. well, have a good night, and thanks again, man. All right, see you, bro. Take it easy. Take care. All right, bye. Bye. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?